Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 935 with Michael Muser. So, but in your pro forma, which is basically like how many humans are going to walk in here and buy how many widgets for how much? And what does my box need to do to accommodate that idea? Just start there. With us, it's like kitchen here, dining room here. And then after that... It's like, now figure out a service pattern. Now figure out where the server station's going to go. Now figure out where AM prep lives. Now figure out, you know, all that other stuff. How they walk into the dining room. How, they, how the dining room unveils itself to the client. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest, as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Pop Menu, and restaurants have been hit hard over the past last years, which means restaurant owners and their staff have been working harder than ever, trying to meet the expectations of in-person hospitality can be demanding, which is why I recommend Pop Menu Answering. Pop Menu Answering turns every restaurant phone call into an opportunity because it uses artificial intelligence to answer the simple questions that are tying up your phone lines, like... Can I make a reservation or where are you located? And over 50% of restaurant guests are happy to have their questions answered by an automated system. For a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off their first month plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a team management platform built specifically for restaurants. Looking to make your life easier? Then Seven Shifts is your secret weapon to better understand your restaurant, hit labor targets, and keep your entire team connected. With drag and drop scheduling, in-app communication, task management, tip management, and more, it makes restaurant work a lot easier easier. In fact, I haven't come across a restaurant tour using seven shifts that hasn't been completely satisfied. Restaurant Unstoppable listeners get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.sevenshifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven S H I F T S dot com slash unstoppable to get Three months free and join over 30,000 restaurants using seven shifts today. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro and they are launching their first time ever 60 day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60 day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurant tours through the Restaurant System Pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants. Fred will teach you recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit. Profit, more butts and seats, and that's not it. If you are interested in this, head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. With excitement, allow me to introduce you today's guest, co-owner of Ever After and the Canvas, Michael 
Muser, my man, Michael, you're feeling unstoppable today. How are you? Yes, I am <laughs> feeling unstoppable. Yeah, I'm excited for today's conversation. Uh, I mean, so like you and Duffy have been at it now for together for a while. Three, I mean, you, you started, you didn't start together. Yeah, we started, though, we met at the Peninsula Hotel. I'm really bad with dates, but we're talking like almost 15 yeah thank you yep. you did your job then i'll try and not <laughs> screw it up i believe you when you say that and uh yeah that's where we uh he was hired on to take over a restaurant called avenues inside the peninsula hotel and the previous chef of avenues was graham elliott bowls okay which some might know from his television situations or you know any one of his restaurants and elliott was kind of like he was groundbreaking man because he kind of showed up all that restaurant was in this hotel was just a box. It was an, tell you want to talk about defining a box. It was just a box. <laughs> it would be used during the daytime for PowerPoint presentations by Ford Motor Company and stuff, right? It was a banquet space that at nighttime we pretended a restaurant in it. And it's like a pop up in this sense. It was totally that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because it wasn't what it was during the daytime. Yeah. It was not like it was Avenue's restaurant 24 7. It was just a space that just got moved around at night. And so the wait staff, believe it or not, the wait staff that worked the FOH there, they had to recreate that dining room every single day. We're talking about hand ironing each piece of linen. And there's two pieces of linen on top of a skirt. So, you know, there's like a wooden table and then there's a pad and then there's a skirt and then there's two pieces of linen crisscrossed <laughs> on top of that. And all of that is getting hand pressed by irons set with extension cords webbed out all across the dining room every night before you even got pre-shift in your mind to talk about the clients that were coming in. That's wild. So that's when we met, that's where you met. You, you opened grace together and then in, I think 2020, you guys closed Grace, or you walked away from Grace. Yes. Uh, opened Ever. Or, sorry, 2018 is when you walked away. 2020, you opened Ever, and you're opening after in like a couple of weeks, I want to say, or in a week. And then you in also a have a couple your, of days. Your event. I don't know when this goes, but yeah. And a couple yeah, like uh, We open on Thursday, and today is Monday. I can't wait to dive into it. We're going to pull back some layers and get oh, to the details about how you got long. to it. All right, but let's get that motivation. I'm pretty raw. <laughs> I, dude, I'm that, that excites me. Uh, so I cannot wait to get into it. But let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra what do you got for us uh a success quote uh or mantra i would always i it probably falls more on the mantra side yeah. and it's uh kind of like uh running stuff 101 give them meaning all of your employees everyone that you work with or that works you know for you with you everyone that you're responsible for give them the tools they need mm -hmm. to be successful and when I say give it to them, give them all of the tools they need to be successful. So if there's like a changing room, put a bunch of hair gel and deodorant and toothbrushes and floss and all kinds of stuff. Just put everything in it that they could possibly give you an excuse for by when they walk into pre-shift and one of those things ain't tight. Yeah. Right? Because that's what we all want <laughs> is we all want, you know, the most best version of whatever it is we're trying to do. So give them all the tools that they need to be successful, then hold them to the highest standard possible and get out of the way mm. and get out of the way. Take away all the excuses by supplying them with everything they need. Hold them to the highest standards possible because now there are no more excuses not to accomplish what it is we're trying to accomplish because everything's got solved, right? Yeah. Like it's all there. So we have all the tools we need to be successful. 
Now let's crush. So I already have questions for you, man. What about yeah. the person that's listening to this and they say, I don't have big investors. I don't have a big budget. I don't have the, I don't have the resources to provide the resources. Where do you start in that scenario? Like, yeah. What are the most important resources? Well, I mean, hopefully the things that I'm referring to don't cost that much money. Like it shouldn't cost that much to go to the 99 cent store. Is there even such a thing? Now it's like a 4.99 cent store because of inflation. Get it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the resources that I'm talking about, they, a lot of them don't even cost money at mm-hmm. all. Give me some examples you know, of the resources you have. Uh, simply let them know. Like someone works, if you are an owner operator and it's your house, that is your life's blood. That is that is the that is the future education fund for your daughter. It is your everything, right? So if you ask me right now what I will deny to any one of them if they call me at three o'clock in the morning because there's a problem, I'll answer that telephone call. Mm-hmm. As will Amy Cordell, our director of Haas. Uh, uh, Justin Selkar, CDC, like that is, that should be the theory across the board. Yeah. If you're willing to do what I need you to do to come in here and help me be successful, it's a 50 50 relationship, yeah. you and me as employer employee. Mm-hmm. I got to do what I got to do to make you right and make you certain promises and always follow through on those promises. You got to do certain things to make it right on my, on, on your side as well. And if we can come together on those things, then a successful marriage we have. Yeah. Right? Is there a line that's going too far where somebody can over ask? Like where, where do you draw that? Yeah, line? Happens all the time. So where's that line? Where- it was sometimes marriage is 60, 40, 70, 30, <laughs> 80, 20. And it sucks. Most of the time it never falls in your favor. Uh, as an employer, you, uh, you know what? Well, everyone's going to play their own violin, right? Yeah. But yeah, I would think if you pulled in, especially if you pulled in Chef Curtis, he would say, we give a lot in, in the terms of, I need this, I need that. But currently right now, and this is a big topic, is just where we're at from a hands standpoint. No one's coming in and interviewing right yeah. now. And that's creating a desperate need for hands. And so it, it, it alters fundamentally the relationship between the employer and the employee. Right now, uh, we are in, we're, we're desperate for hands. Yeah. I mean, and the ones we got, we covet. And when this is coming from you, Michael Musier, with your, your, your partner, Chef Duffy, three Michelin star restaurant at one point with Grace. I think you're at two with Ever right now, correct? Uh, yes, two Michelin stars with Ever. When that type of of pedigree of restaurant can attract talent, you know, there's a problem. Yeah. You, you know that it's not just people saying, you know, what's funny, like some B side weirdness that I think about in my head late at night is cause I think there's always this fear of entry mm-hmm. when it comes to restaurants like ever or, uh, any one of the fine dining restaurant, Oriole Smith, uh, any one of those. I, I remember when I was super young, I was scared of that world because it was perceived as this place. Yeah, yeah. That has like, you have to have all of this previous setup and training before you can apply mm-hmm. to even be a porter or, you know, a, a low level version of that. And then once you're inserted into that system, it takes a super long time to work your way up to something like a captain or, you know, a sommelier. So there's always been that inherent set of fear of like, I don't know. I mean, I would love to do that. But I'm scared because Mm. meanwhile, we're literally taking food from the kitchen and putting it in front of people in the dining room, just like every other restaurant in the ever made. Right. Uh, None of it is rocket science. None of it. It just it just takes tenacity and show up and you can master the craft of any version of it. Yeah. And yeah, that journey starts on the food runner line. But that's not just to be mean. They're everything. Yeah. A food runner is the heartbeat. <laughs> yeah. There's only a couple other positions that can like alter service 
more severely than an either an active focused food runner squad or one that won't stop talking about whatever they watched last night on Netflix. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's only one other thing from your your opening statement about giving your people the tools and then holding them to the standard that I want to dive into before we start sharing your story and really pulling back the layers. Um, when it comes to holding them to those outrageous standards, uh, how do you find that balance too? Because I feel like they're you know you want to push your people to grow you want to you want to be the best but there's got to be a balance there because you don't want to push totally. you don't want to push people away by by being unreasonable through standards no either. no absolutely not we our uh level of service and it's true of any one of the versions of us these weird little boxes um is that we like those standards or at least are supposed to like those standards why is like that? let me try and be real so normally uh, in my restaurant comeuppance and just working in regular restaurants, there's like a percentage of the staff that kicks out on closing side work, right? And all of a sudden you look over and there's like four empty black bus tub bins needing roll-ups in them. And you're like, oh, damn, man. And you go into the dish pit and it's because none of the forks and knives are coming out, right? Mm-hmm. Nothing's coming. So then you kick the dish pit and then you finally get the silver. By then, like most of the staff is gone. And you're like, Ma! and you get caught until <laughs> three o'clock in the morning. Doing side work like that or marrying catch-ups or, you know, uh, doing that kind of stuff. In that house, that doesn't happen. Yeah. Everybody shows up and agrees to a set of standards, which is I have to be on time or there are major implications. Mm -hmm. Just that standard right there. Yeah. Everybody in the room agrees we're all going to show up on time. Try and enforce that standard to the T every day. Yes. You will lose your mind. <laughs> you will lose your mind because life is complicated. So how do you not lose your mind? Uh, are, you, are you not? You not swallow a lot mind. more than you want to dish out. Like yeah. Chef and I will say all the time to our management squad, like, dude, if I let loose on all the things I walk around and see, then would it never be the end of it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it's always give and so take. And, and finding you, that balance of picking your battles. And, and, and realize that it's a marriage that is probably unbalanced from the get-go, and you're always going to try it and, and give more than you get. But, you know, if you can get to that more, if you can get closer to 50-50, then you've got success. Beautiful, man. You know? Awesome. Great way to get this thing started. So going back to your story, I know you're at Avenues. That's where you cross paths with Chef Duffy, but there's not much out there beyond that that i saw as far as how you got to that point because yeah working in avenues i mean that you know that you had to be in the industry for a little bit I yeah imagine to get that opportunity so what was going on before so uh i would say the story probably begins in because uh, once i graduated college i grew up in california okay. and i went to college at chico state go wildcats i've never said that before but i'll <laughs> say it on this podcast and uh and then after that i was a a, a theater major you could probably tell. Yeah, you're a little and then, Yeah. <laughs> and then after that, uh, it was like kind of, you know, welcome to the real world uh, theater major. And what do all actors or anyone even saying that they w- wanted to be an actor in the state of California do? You wait tables, man. You just, you know, you got to pay bills. You want to go out. You're young. You want to live. And uh, my restaurant comeuppance would start at the King's Fish House or the King's Seafood Company, which was... Uh, a big restaurant group for its time. I think it's been, I don't I know, what, I don't know it. what it exists of now or it's been bought or I don't know. You yeah. know what I mean? It's been a long time. Uh, but I started uh, waiting tables there. And that company had a fine dining division, okay. which included Michael Simarusti at the Water Grill. Step back. Michael Simarusti at the Water Grill. 
who would then later grow uh, to open his own restaurant called Providence, which still exists today, and is one of L.A.'s most radical restaurants. And he's probably one of the state's greatest chefs. Uh, he ran a team at that time in the water grill that was intense. And he was kind of a bear in the kitchen. And he had a, 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 my time spent there limited as I could, you know, I started to try and spend as much time as I possibly could in that space. The sommelier, the stemware, the wine list, the breadth of knowledge that uh, everybody had and wanted. You know, there was uh, the sommelier there was was constantly sitting in corners and they would just, oh, my God, what they were doing over there was mesmerizing to me that they had this whole world of knowledge and words that I was completely ignorant to. Right. Um, It for sure opened my eyes that there's a really sexy version of of doing what we were doing on the non fine dining side at just your average King's Fish house in that crab lounge shucking oysters and getting dirty and, you know washing your hands at that big ass stainless steel uh, uh, sink that they had. Uh, And, and so that kind of uh, got me into that finer level. I I like the specialness of it, man. It was, it was cool. And I think the best part about it was, is that that staff that, that there were staffs where those standards were kind of being implemented on a daily, man, it was pretty intense. Yeah. And I have to point out too, it makes sense that, you know, somebody with a, an interest in theater go down this path and especially in fine dining, because I think there's a level of showmanship beyond any other vertical within the food beverage industry. You're not. Yeah. I mean, as a waiter, you're not making any money unless you can dance. Yeah. Right. So, and develop that, that, uh, say again, that, that element appear to you that, that level of being on stage and, and putting on a performance. Yeah, for sure. I, that's what waiting tables is. Yeah. And that's what, you know, I can draw theater analogies to what we do at ever all day long. Oh, They're God. obnoxious. <laughs> There's a backstage and a front, you know, yeah. an on stage and those aren't uniforms. Those are costumes. Yeah. And you as a captain are playing this role. Um, you know, uh, so yeah, the theater thing, uh, it's just easy to find performance in the restaurant business and it kind of satisfies that itch. Right. Mm hmm. Yeah, so you sure. don't go home at night crying yourself to bed going, I could have been great, wouldn't it? No. You don't. <laughs> so like, without getting into like the nitty-gritty or the detail, just try to zoom up to like 30,000 feet and like just give me the stops along the way before going to avenues. Like, Where were the key restaurants that you think you evolved the most as a professional? Oh, man. I mean, I'll keep it super short because after my time in California, I came to Chicago. Then I started uh, basically just doing the same thing, just waiting yeah. tables here and there and whatnot. And then I got a job at a restaurant in Chicago called Ombria. Ombria had at that time been open for like 20 plus years. And, you know, really in its day, like when Jordan was winning, Ombria is where you went to get steak for two, you know, like the big table side cut. Yeah. Oh my God. It was this, uh, it was, it was, uh, so we're in the late nineties now. Um, that safe to say? Don't no, you're out of that. Maybe, no, no, I graduated really from, mid-90s. from, yeah, I'm 48. So I graduated from college <laughs> then uh what year is it when i'm at ombria i don't know so you would have graduated around 93 this is pre avenues pre peninsula yeah but only by a couple of years and at that uh at that establishment they had a sommelier that was there since the day it was born bob bansberg who's now passed may he rest in peace and he uh was a huge impact on me man uh bob was awesome in every way He had a hundred jokes in his pocket. The guests literally requested him walking in the door. Um, He was of the first, not the first. Well, yeah, he's like one of the first generations of like known 
wine heads, mm. sommeliers, uh, him and uh, uh, Henry Bishop at a restaurant called Spiaggia that is now closed in Chicago. But Spiaggia became this this kind of reinventor of what Italian was to your average, uh, uh, you know, Midwesterner and, and was challenging and, and, and brought new things to the market on the daily. And the wine program reacted to that. And Bob at Ambria was doing the exact same thing. Uh, I saw the, I saw what it was uh, to be a great sommelier at that restaurant. That was like the first time. And I also saw what, what, what chaos could be created in a wine cellar. If you let Bob go crazy. <laughs> For 15 years without uh, without some sort of seller rat. I learned how to seller rat at Ambria. I learned the importance of being a good seller rat, of uh, uh, you know making sure that you're fiscally responsible for every single decision you make. Yeah. Because if you make them too fast and then that stuff just starts to pile up, then you'll forget. And it doesn't end up going through the whole process of making its way onto a wine list for sale to a client with a corresponding bin that works in the point of sale system yeah. that actually brings up the right bottle for the right <laughs> price to make sure the house is making its margin properly. And that, that that's not easy, yeah. right? That's not easy. Well, just listening to you too, I can't help but think too, you don't want to get crazy just having money sitting on shelves down there. You want to have a plan for it to move it, to make money to bring it in, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so any other stops along the way before Avenue after Ambria? No, I would say uh, my time in California led me to Chicago. And then the first kind of big move where my life was definitely headed towards wine. And the study phase of my life had begun. Yeah. Uh, when I was in, when I, when I got into Chicago. And I mean, like, like, you know, sommeliers do that. They go through a, they go through a flashcard, yeah. a flashcard phase. Oh, yeah. Where I don't go anywhere without 17 boxes of burgundy flashcards <laughs> and i don't go any you know each like literally each appellation would have multiple card you know eight by ten f- file boxes of whatever it was um you just uh, yeah it was an important part of my process and then at that time too i was studying with a couple different groups one of them was a, a group called the international sommelier guild None of these things are around anymore because COVID killed everything. Oh but um, and it, and there I met some really great wine people that just uh, kind of opened my mind uh, to to more tasting theory and stuff like that. Yeah. So would, is it safe to say that you grew the most as a psalm prior to running your own kind of show? With, yeah, with Bob under Bob's tutelage. Oh yeah, for sure. So what were the like you said he he was like he defined greatness as a psalm. Oh man. So really paint that picture of who Bob was and what you learned from him or the biggest lessons he taught you how to deal uh, everything. Uh, Bobby showed me how to maintain relationships with the wine reps, mm. uh, wine representatives. That's like a huge portion of what you do, right? As a sommelier, you kind of just sit around all day. They're the ones that call and say, Hey, you've got to taste this. You know, there's a whole um, network of human beings that bring wine to America and then make it available to these, you know, you, I don't go and get it and uh, I'm not responsible for, for, for what's put in front of me. There's a, there's, there's a cast of characters there and Bob knew how to, he had, he had knowledge of them and he had respect for them. And when the stuff actually got to us, you know, uh, uh, tasting wise there, um, there was just a sense of awareness uh, that the game is on here and we're trying to find the best wines and give them the best homes and platform them in the best way, right? Getting the right wines to the right people. That was kind of the game at hand, 
Um, and we had, and Bob had an incredible run at a fine dining restaurant in Chicago where he could literally shed light on a bunch of wineries. It was also fun too, because I got to experience it at the tail end of its life. So Bob had already been around for like a million years. So like whatever winery had hired whoever to come in and like Bob knew a million stories. They didn't. Yeah. (laughs) He could tell anybody anything about you know what I mean. Oh, you work for that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know Jill, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, I know. Her. Yeah, we had lunch 19 years ago. He was just the best at that portion of it, right? Because that's a big part of it. Uh, and then just his showmanship on the floor and his dedication to the routine of life. That 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 kind of you know working in a fine dining restaurant is pretty Groundhog Dayish because there's a uniformity to service. That doesn't exist in like your regular, just, you know, three course. The goal is consistency. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, pre-shift is, and this stuff can get robotic. Mm -hmm. Bob would always have jasmine tea, like (laughs) right before pre-shift and he would sip on it at pre-shift and notes were, you know, a thing and who was coming in was just incredibly important, right? Like he was, he, he kind of showed me that what you owe the client is that sense of when they walk in the door is we've been thinking about you like all day. We've been talking about your reservation all day. We were talking about you when <laughs> we're we were ironing. You. Yeah, man, we were, we were ironing your, your tablecloth, talking about you. Oh, my God, we're so excited. Bob's got some beautiful roans from the well, last time that you What's going on there when he's doing that? What do you mean what's going on there? Like what, what's, the, what's the effect? What's happening? What's, the, like, what's happening for the, the guest experience? Well, I mean, I would just say like just a direct connection with the client, yeah. for sure. Like you, I mean, that's, uh, uh, you know, on the mantra front in, in Chicago – Pre-COVID, always these things were so different. But you know, there used to be a million of us in Chicago, like on the fine dining side, on the mid dining side, like at every price point. Yeah. So when a guest walked in the door, you could have gone anywhere. You could have you could have done anything tonight, but you chose to come to us. Mm-hmm. And for that, we're going to just show you because we've got two and a half hours to show you how unbelievably honored we are that you made that choice. Yeah. It's up. It's game's on. We're the loonies that charge these crazy prices. We're the ones that say, <laughs> you don't get to choose what you eat tonight. You know what I mean? He does. Yeah. So you just sit back and relax and we're driving. There's a lot of audacious behavior in that, right? Sure. This is the hospitality industry, for God's sake. You got to deliver. Yeah. Oh. Not to say that the kitchen doesn't destroy the menu 12 different ways every night to accommodate a bunch of stuff, but uh, mostly you're on our roller coaster ride, right? So for that... Uh, we've really got to go far to make sure that this experience has been custom fabricated in every way possible, mm. in every way possible, because a birthday's not an anniversary. It's not I got a new job. It's not I haven't seen you in 40 years. All of these experiences are going to run their own race. Mm-hmm. These are all going to do their own thing. So it's just our job to kind of figure them out, respect them, and then find ways to say thank you a million times over over that two hour span. I love that. Uh, so, is it safe to say that your your time at Avenue was like the first time that you kind of took the reins as like the, the director steering the ship of a program and like yes. you owned something? Hundred percent. When I left Let Us Entertain You, which I only was, I, I wish I could have spent more time at How Let Us Entertain You. I was only there for like a couple of years because yeah. the uh, because Elliot called me, uh, who was the chef to cuisine at Avenues at the time. And Elliot was convinced that without a real wine program, he was never going to get all these awards he wanted. (laughs) So he was like, I need someone to, you know, look, uh, this is off topic or whatever, but the tree of, of, of Chicago, you know, chefs forward a generation and what we're dealing with right now, it's all Charlie Trotter, right? 90% of it 
is a graduating class, <clears throat> excuse me, or a couple graduating classes of, of Charlie Trotters. And Elliot for sure is one of those. And at Charlie's, it was food and wine, man. And, and, and the wine list and the wine program at Charlie Trotters like invented the wheel like every, it was just it was spoken of like all over the yeah. place right it was beautiful you could see it they're massive three liters of first growth bordeaux you're just like blow your mind what was on that wine list uh and so elliot when he got his job at avenues he wanted one of those to kind of sit next to him because it's just that's kind of how we all kind of grew up yeah charlie invented that and so I, uh, uh, through him, went through a series of interviews and ended up taking the job as wine director of the Peninsula Hotel in Chicago only a couple of years after I'd been working with Bobby. Okay. But I handed my job over to my buddy, Alec Brugenthies, who is now the wine director for Smith & Walensky, like, all, like nationwide. And Alec took that torch and all the way through, because the restaurant closed like two or three years after that. So my buddy, Alec, took my job and then just stayed with Bobby right through the finish. Got it. So the restaurant closed in excellent style because my buddy Alec is probably one of the best wine guys I know. Beautiful, beautiful. So, I mean, any key lessons uh, when you took from going to, to, you know, trying to execute someone else's vision when it comes to like a vertical within the restaurant, a wine program, to now you taking the reins and kind of steering the ship? What challenges come with that that you can kind of give somebody who's listening to this a heads up or, you know, how, how do you overcome that? Uh, as far as executing your vision, yeah. Well, I can only tell you my story. So my that gig, that leap from working for Bob Bonsberg at Let Us Entertain You, where we, you know, it was a very fam- it was a family environment. If Bob wanted a wine, he bought it and showed up. We tasted something and we liked it, and we wanted sixteen cases of it because we just wanted to love it for a year. We bought it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you didn't have to ask anybody. And if Chris, our manager guy, found out or things got out of control, he would call you into his office and scream at everybody (laughs) and you'd be like, sorry, we won't buy for a couple months. (laughs) And you get to a a hotel gig and a hotel gig goes, this is a purchase order. You're going to fill this out and it's going to go through this whole process of figuring out how it's going to actually find its way to the purchasing department where uh, your buddy Julio downstairs is going to order it for you. You don't order anything. You're not ordering. What are you doing, wine director? (laughs) So the first game on for me in wanting to execute my vision, I am answering kind of your question, because I ended up with an amazing wine list at the Peninsula. I just had to figure out how to do everybody's job and then get it through. (laughs) You know, I I, I had to work the system. Yeah. I had to be very tenacious. Well, you learned these lessons from relationships from Bob, right? Bobby. A hundred percent. And that extends not only externally, but internally with the people that you need to get your, your things done. So was, were you just working relationships? Uh, yeah. Well, I was, uh, look, I'm probably, it just was super insecure mm. and my wine program had, it had to represent what I wanted it to be. Right. I was standing on the shoulders of, all this, I mean, dude, back then, Fernando Batata, Master Sommelier Fernando Batata was the wine director of uh, the Park Hyatt Nomi. I could see him. Wow. We used to wave at each other yeah. from across the street. <laughs> uh, Alpana Singh was like a god at Let Us Entertain You. And, and, and on and on. Scott Tyree at True was insane. There were huge 
different groups of sommeliers that would work Charlie Trotters as, as it closed, right? Different Robert Hood, Larry Stone. I mean, these were all like, I wanted to be great like them. Mm. <laughs> and I was never going to be great like them if I didn't have this wine list that was like going to showcase what I could do if I could. Yeah. And what I needed to do before I could was figure out everybody's job that got in the way of me buying something and getting it downstairs into the cellar. <laughs> so when you say figuring out their job, are you, what do you mean exactly? By oh, that? you're like, uh, how, if you were in my way, yeah. then I just either <laughs> figured out how to do it for you. Okay. Right. So, I, yeah. So you'd create a path of least resistance. So you, if you ask them to do something and there is resistance, you'd be like, I'll do it for you. And then that would probably make them agree. Easier. Yeah. Or I give, it's kind of like this in a hotel. I am desperate in need of real world captains. You work at a real world restaurant, but hotels and restaurants, they're just like a different thing. Uh, I, I really want you. I know you're going to work. And I know all 17 people that want to talk to you to get you hired in this thing. They're going to like you, too. Yeah. But lining them up, getting you through HR, then to the assistant director of food and beverage, and then to the director of food and beverage, and then at least to the resident manager, if not the GM. And then back to HR with all those things signed to get you to work with me because we, you know what I mean? This is, you want the job and <laughs> you have to do that. Yeah. You've you're, it's a big machine and you're not going to get done what you want to get done unless you forcibly work your way through the system. Will it and if existence? grabbing you by the hand and screaming at Larry down the, down the hallway and going, Larry, 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 where, where, where are you going? Where are you going? <laughs> well, I'm going to go to lunch now. Could you please talk to my friend really quick? Please just, Sit him down. I'm trying to get captains downstairs. Yeah. I'm trying to get people hired downstairs, man. Could you please? And then if he interviews you and passes you along, then I get that manila envelope and I take you by the hand and I run you down the hallway to talk to the assistant director of food and beverage. Oh, man, you really painted an awful picture of the hotel world. <laughs> but it's it's kind yeah. I mean, it's kind of it's, it. it's what it is. Oh I don't God. mean to because that, that hotel span for me. It made me work harder than I ever thought I'd ever yeah, have to it work. It creates right? discipline. And I think it teaches you, like, and this is one thing I teach or I, I echo is when, if you're looking to open a restaurant, go work for a big organization, a, a corporation, a, a, a franchise, because they're going to have systems. They're going to see, pro you need that process really to keep a big ship running. And that's the thing about the hotel world is that it's not just a restaurant. It's all connected. And, and, you know, they, they have to see the bigger picture. I've said before in Chicago, we have let us entertain you and they're a very large, successful group. Let like, if you're going to be in the restaurant business in the Midwest, it should be like military service. You have to work three years at let us entertain you. <laughs> just, everyone should have to go through that to just understand what a basic, you know, system setup is. Yeah, yeah. And hotels will triple down like that. Like, uh, I have, uh, we should all just remind ourselves to have so much respect for the hotel hospitality side are you working christmas morning brunch most restaurant kids aren't but hotel kids do yeah yeah well, right you're carving something you on thanksgiving something. day yeah you make me think of something uh like that i think this industry could be kind of guilty of rinsing and repeating what the greats have done before us uh, yeah like going through and like oh like if you want to be successful go work for let us entertain you learn their systems and then recreate that for yourself right and now we have restaurants across the world that are kind of operating on the same business model right okay and i think that's kind of getting us in trouble today yeah that we have this like old antiquated business model that everyone uses that's, right what are your what's going through your mind as i'm saying this i mean if you talk about old antiquated restaurant stuff usually in chicago what'll pop in your head is nick kakonis mm -hmm. and the talk reservation system totally turning them upside down right yeah 
and uh, kind of shaking that tree. Yeah. And even for an old goat like me, and I am an old like dude taking me off telephones are you, you could probably tell that'd be a very hard thing to do like because that's that is i used to say like that's the first piece of the guests that we get yeah and if i've got you on the phone and you're making a two-top reservation for your anniversary if you think you're getting off the phone before i know all of you for sure we do the best we can to get as intimate with the client on the telephone as we could but that for sure was a process of, do you have a two-top on Tuesday night? Or da, 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 da? Yes, we do, but it's this time. Okay, hold on a second. Honey, can you do, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> can you do Wednesday? You just, it's a yeah. nightmare. Yeah. A nightmare. And it took Nick to look at that old, antiquated, broken <laughs> box and go, that is stupid. But that's the cool thing that's happening right now. And I think so many people from all walks of life are being drawn to this industry like an, un, at an unprecedented rate where yeah. you just get no matter what your passion is whether it's design whether it's just the food like like Nick had a he was a dividends like tr- stock trader something yeah. or other like mathematician genius before yeah. um, and well was, I'm not gonna go down mathematician <laughs> no, I'm not, not the genius <laughs> But you know what I'm saying? Like he, he had, he, he, it took a completely different perspective. Yeah. Uh, and no, uh, successful in the a vertical, the common say, 100%. Why are we doing it like this? 100%. You know, um, 100%. Yeah. It, it, and especially for what they do at Alinea and what we do at Ever and what John Shields does yeah. at, at Smith and uh, uh, what Noah's doing over at Oriole for all of those kind of like, look, this, it's a ticket to a show, essentially. Yeah. And yeah. I've always thought like that was part of it that really made sense to me. Of course, with your theater background. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Every night in the dining room, it is so super different depending upon who shows up for what they're showing up for. Every night's a concert, and Duffy's in there, and he's just going to play an album for you. That's how I see the tasting menus. Those are just albums. That's a ballad. That's a rock anthem. That's a pop hit. You know, you can eat certain things and be like, oh, my God, everyone's going to want a bucket of that for sure. Like they're going to want more because it's just yummy. It's just unctuous. It's just pretty. Uh, And then there are other dishes that are challenging, you know, and I look at them like jazz bits. I'm like, oh, my God, you're really going to do a jazz number in the middle there. But it goes down that way. Right. There's a voice in the kitchen and you're showing up to kind of take that ride. It's a concert for that night. And I promise you. Wednesday night's concerts different than Thursday nights, which is super different than Friday night's concert. They're all just different audiences and the room just feels and moves differently. And so in that light, Nick is a hundred percent right. You just bought a concert ticket. Yeah. Just because you don't want to go see that show or you can't make that show doesn't mean that the concert's not going to go on. Yeah. And And so financially speaking, you know, the concert venue needs to be made whole. Yeah. Or protected. Yeah. From these massive nightly no shows, which was kind of the first take on it. Yeah. There's that part of it too. And I think the the real genius part of what they did with talk is the idea that that ticket on a Friday night in a very limited amount of space is more valuable than on a Tuesday night. Yes. So you shouldn't charge the same price exactly. for that experience. And I think that's really where you start like 10 Xing your, your, I don't know if it's 10 Xing, but like multiplying your margins during the, the, the heavy demand hours, the, the yeah. heavy demand. And then everybody can go because, Hey, if you want to go to that restaurant, well, guess what? On a Tuesday, it might be within your reach. You know, you might be yeah. able to get that same Friday night experience on a Tuesday Maybe you can't afford the three hundred or four hundred dollars, whatever it is, on a crazy like correct, you know. But maybe you can do one hundred and twenty, you know. So like it, it also makes the experience 
more accessible for different markets. So you're you're hitting a bunch of different markets. You're getting maximum ROI. You know when when you need it. What's going through your mind as I'm saying this? I don't want to take over the mic. Uh, no, not a lot to be honest. I mean, ROI <laughs> is something I go to bed at night because we're you know, we're days away from opening a cocktail lounge. Yeah, you know, and so you can become more concerned about that stuff yeah. as it gets closer to opening. Yeah, we got into a little bit of a rabbit hole, but I mean, I just it, it popped into my head at that moment. I felt like it was right, but I think now uh, unless there's anything you want to talk about bring to the service about your past i think we can start to transition to why grace came to be and how grace grace came to be well uh it's kind of an e- like we we were at so i was at the peninsula hotel serving as wine director for a little bit a couple of years or so and then elliot uh bailed out chef bowls yeah. uh to open his own restaurant uh right down the street on huron called graham elliot and we started looking for a new chef and that's when Curtis came on board and took that box. And him and I uh, basically worked up a real quick kind of understanding that uh, the seventh floor, I think it's the seventh or the sixth floor, which is where all the XCOM lives, executive committee, uh, he won't ever have to go up there. I mean, never, because I'll go up there. <laughs> you don't have to worry about that. <laughs> you just cook and I'll deal with all the other nonsense because trust me, <laughs> There's a lot of nonsense up there, right? And so this, uh, this is your going through the motions of learning everybody's job, coming to fruition right now. It's really starting to pay off because you can be that. Yeah. For and it, that's that's a, this this partnership you have with Duffy. That's beginning here. This is the beginning of how you two complement, dude. Especially then. Yeah. Like young Curtis. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> Laser beams like that, dude. Nobody thought he was nice. Everybody thought he was a jerk. Well, you want to know why? Because he didn't talk to anybody. Yeah. He just went to work. Yeah. He bring, he still does this. Bring in a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I'm not <laughs> kidding. And and right at like 1230, he would unwrap it, sit in a corner, eat it, and get right back up and go back to Plus. Dude, it was, uh, it was crazy. That Curtis, more so than uh, the one that exists today, was not did not want to go up to that executive committee floor and start messing around. Uh, that one just cooked yeah. and wanted to just put it on the plate uh, and leave everything else aside. So why would he avoid that? It was just because his passion was the cooking. He yes, didn't want to be noise. Down. That's yeah. noise. Yeah. Get that noise away. <laughs> and and that was pretty obvious, right? So that kind of represented us and still does to this day. Keep the noise away from him and let him create. Build a box sufficient to do what he does. Now, the problem was tools. Yeah. Give him the tools. Yeah. But the problem is at that hotel, because it was the avenues box that was kind of never meant to do what, right? How could it possibly achieve greatness in the way that we for we saw it, right? Reminding anyone that would be listening that Curtis just spent like five plus years at Alinea. So having this kitchen custom fabricated to execute tasting menus to Chef Grant's kind of tune. And then to this, I'm not kidding you, the kitchen was smaller than the room we're sitting in right now. It was bananas, dude. You couldn't invent it in your head. The pastry chef had like a three foot by four foot little table that he worked on behind one of those kind of accordion doors that stood up. We hit him. (laughs) We hit Bobby behind an accordion door set thing and gave him a tiny little station that had a fridge that we plugged in with electrical tape 
or uh, sorry, with uh, an extension cord and then ran electrical tape along the carpet Wow! so that no one would trip on it as the waiters were going back to the kitchen to drop dish. It was hysterical what we did. What was the point for the divider, though? What were you trying to do? We were just trying to, because where he was, essentially, um, you couldn't make it up. It was basically where the POS terminal was. Okay. It's like where the, it was like the server station. We put a pastry table in the server station. (laughs) And then that whole thing was just kind of hidden with this door. With this one of those, you know, I think it had like an Orient kind of thing on the front of it. Dude, it was crazy. That team uh, needed a new kitchen. Uh, the Michelin Guide came to Chicago. You can do the math. I don't know. The, the first year it ever did, it came to Chicago. And that kind of freaked everybody out because it created, it was just, you know, okay, so the Chicago Tribune gave you four stars or, you know, you had these accolades. Congratulations, you're a James Beard winner. Congratulations, you're a top 10 food and wine chef, blah, 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 blah. But no one's ever heard what Michelin has to say about any of this stuff. Yeah. So what will they say? What will their world-renowned, you know, international ideas of our Midwestern city be. And the kind of one of the weird ones was, is that Charlie's Charlie Trotters, the creator of most of what we see, uh, he'd been around a long time at that point. Like that restaurant was kind of winding mm-hmm. downish, mm-hmm. you know, and for sure, Alinea shook every, oh, yeah. <laughs> everything, right? I mean, I kind of spoke about that lineage before, but I should have gone deeper into it. Maybe I didn't fully explain it. From that kitchen, Graham Elliott Bowles, Curtis Duffy, Beverly Kim, Giuseppe Tentori, Matt Murgis, and on and on and on that list goes. And at the end of Charlie Trotter's restaurant's life, all of those youngins were all, man, running at 120 <laughs> miles an hour. So how could it not, yeah. right? Yeah. So the guy shows up. It's like, what's, what's gonna, what are they gonna do, you know, <laughs> with that? Um, and when it all, uh, when the dust settled and the guy came out, Curtis was given two Michelin stars at Avenues. Wow! What the hell? Two stars. That's amazing. Two stars. Uh, and you know who else got two stars? Charlie Trotter. Wow. That was weird. And. Uh, Danny Grant uh, at Rhea, I think, got two Michelin stars. So what was weird about that? Just the fact that you're being a man. He's a god. Charlie Trotter's a thing people talk about. You're not real on that. And then all of a sudden, Curtis and I are looking at each other, and I'm like, dude, he's got two. You've got two. And I'm telling you, young Curtis, laser beam guy, that was not. I mean, even before Michelin, he was just like, we got to get out of here. We got to go build our own situation (laughs) at all costs. We have got to get out of here. So that getting that star for him was like this is my permission for yeah we or like for us it was maybe a little bit of a a a realization of like okay so we've got something here we've got this is something and we need to own this thing or you know at least be able to say at the end of the night that we're doing it to the best of our ability Mm. and i mean do when you're in a hotel uh, what separates you from actually having coffee cups is a purchase order. Yeah. And sometimes those purchase orders get put, they get late. Come, you just, we didn't have coffee cups. <laughs> we didn't have a lot. So how are we going to be successful in this thing that we recreate every single day, re ironing all these table clocks? Ah, uh, no, come on. Curtis needed a cage. He needed his own yeah. unit, you yeah. know? And so grace was born out of that. Yeah. So now is a great time to take a break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back to kind of unpackage how you make 
grace come to be. This episode is brought to you by Pop Menu. Look, I don't need to explain to you that restaurants have been hit hard over the past few years, which means restaurant owners and their staff have been working harder than ever. Trying to meet the demands of in-person hospitality can be demanding, which is why I recommend Pop Menu Answering. Pop Menu Answering turns every restaurant phone call into an opportunity. This is because it uses artificial intelligence to answer the simple questions that are tying up your phone lines like, can I make a reservation or where are you located or what are your hours? And over 50% of restaurant guests are happy to have their questions answered by an automated system. Within the Pop Menu platform, you can customize answers for your restaurant and choose the voice your guests hear and even send follow-up links via text message pop menu answering picks up your phone call 24 7 365 days a year allowing you and your team to focus on what matters most your guests in-house the time is now to prevent lost customers and impress your guests with pop menu answering. And for a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off your first month plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Go now to get $100 off your first month and learn more about pop menus, full collection of tools at popmenu.com backslash unstoppable. We're back, and you just started getting into the part of your journey where you and Chef Duffy leave Avenue to go do your own thing, Grace. Yeah. Take us through, like, so you get the star, and you get your permission. Uh, Curtis needs the, the the room to do his own thing, to be his own chef, to have you know no boundaries, right? To have um, enough coffee cups. To have enough coffee cups. To run service. <laughs> to run service. It kind of starts there. But you still got two stars off the coffee cups. This is insane. This is why some of it was such a shock. We're like, whoa. <laughs> which is wild. So Imagine what we could do with what, coffee cups. So what's the narrative? What's the first thing you say to yourself? Like, Well, if we're opening our own place, this is what we need to do first. Oh, that's... Uh, I don't really know the real answer to that on a on a regular scale. What'd you do I can here? only tell you for ours. First, we just started looking for boxes, mm-hmm. right? So find the box that that for sure is Location. it's really close. Yeah, yeah. look, yeah, you got to find. I always say a box because that's what you're going to put it in. Yeah, it's going to be some kind of box, and that box is going to need some stuff. Young rest, young young would be restaurateur, <laughs> yeah. right? It's going to that box just can't be just any box. Don't yeah. don't be stupid and driving around seeing a for rent sign and anything and being like it could be there or it could be in that church yeah. or it could be you know what I mean? Because I drive by churches well, all the time going oh if I could buy that oh church like that I think would there's be, gonna be a lot of restaurant churches in the ah oh, <laughs> but listen I mean there exists uh, what are you gonna need? Well you're gonna need fire and then you're gonna need a hood and then you're gonna need a thing called black iron. And that stuff's expensive, so be careful on your box. <laughs> be careful what you do. What right? is black iron? Black iron's what takes the hot air out of the building. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to need to run black iron six, seven, eight stories up, cha-ching, 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 that stuff yeah. just adds up quick. So, and that's the tip of the iceberg. But and I just use that as one example. Uh, you know, what are your what are going what are your HVAC needs going to be? What, yeah. Like. What, what I think is impressive, and I think most people will agree with me on the statement, is that it's one thing to go out and cook and to be hired to be in a lane and to stay in your lane. It's another thing to build a three Michelin star from the ground up with no prior restaurant experience. Yes. That's impressive. Yeah. First time out, first time owner, no prior running a restaurant, one thing, opening a restaurant, 
totally different beast. A hundred percent. So, but I would argue (laughs) that working in the restaurant part is like 98, you know, uh, uh, like what do you need to make it actually successful? You need knowledge of the service pattern, service flow, number of humans, where the tables go, how much space is needed around the tables to be able to serve from the right and clear from the right. You're building around that. And that's 100%. Yeah. 100%. But then comes the parts that you don't know, which is driving around, looking at boxes, thinking about could it be here? Could it be there? Could it be at this one? Could it be at that one? And you always think there's a million of them and they're not. Yeah. When we were looking forever, there were like three. This is pre-pandemic, right? Just pre-pandemic, but there weren't that many boxes that could handle all the things that I needed it to do. And all of the things I look, your landlord is a huge part of your life. So when you're looking at one of those boxes together, you speak of, you know, uh, what moves need to be made. I'm going to put this much money into your box. I don't own this box, right? So I'm about to dump x amount of millions of dollars into your space you need to be willing to do the following things for me while we're getting there you know this stuff is not gonna not ever gonna leave even if i close in a week i can't take the hvac i can't take the plumbing i can't take all that work that work stays that's yours so we got to come to an agreement on that those conversations will affect whether you end up inside a box or whether you end up continuing to shop for a new box. Yeah. You know, so what advice and that's do you unknown. Have you, that's only known. I think by walking through it, what advice and, do you have about, you know, picking your box and having these conversations? Uh, well, I mean, have them. Yeah. That that's, that's, I would say that make sure you have these conversations when you're looking at something, you know, you have, you have, you have your basic, uh, I don't want to use words like pro forma. I hate that word. It's just something about it. It's like the word moist. I don't like it. <laughs> so, but in your pro forma, which is basically like how many humans are going to walk in here and buy how many widgets for how much? And what does my box need to do to accommodate that idea? Mm-hmm. So just start, just so start re- there. What I'm With hearing- us, it's like kitchen here, dining room he- here. <laughs> and then after that, it's like now figure out a service pattern. Yeah. Now figure out where the server station's going to go. Now figure out where AM prep lives. Now figure out, you know, all that other stuff. How they walk into the dining room. How they how the dining room unveils itself to yeah. the client. I did this whole episode with Stephanie Robson on like back of house like basically just had like the the layout and like flow and how things should come from the back door and flow in one direction forward. You should never bring things from the front back they should always go from the back forward out the front door. Right. Okay. So yeah. In, in the consumer. Yes. Out the front door at, you know, in, in boxes through the back door. It's a great episode. If anybody just look up Stephanie Robson restaurant. Stop I love slowly. that kind of stuff. Yeah. But she wants to come back. She wants to do the same thing for front of house flow. So you just, you got me thinking about that. Maybe I should pay her a visit my way back. <laughs> but, um, uh, so I mean, I, I always see mine like a lazy pool at a water park. The service pattern just flows in one direction in a big circle constantly. (laughs) And you can and you can you have to make it so that if you want, you can jump off your donut and like swim against the current. But you're not doing that for very long. (laughs) There's just too much coming at you in the opposite direction. And you end up giving up going that way. It's a rotary. Um, So what reflecting back during this time at Grace again, I think you're there from 2015 to 2018. I believe that. No, it's earlier than that. I think it was like we opened in 11 or 12. But you got the the stars. We got our third. So Grace opened. And I think it's 2011. Yeah. That sounds it's right. just, I don't. Ish. Yeah. Cause if I think about time, I realize how old I am and I'm I sorry. fear death in an epic way. <laughs> it's I'm one of those weird people that, 
I just can't handle it. But uh, uh, yeah, we opened up in 2011, 2012. We got two Michelin stars like our first year up. And then uh, the second year, I, th- I believe, uh, Curtis received his third Michelin star. Okay. So, which made him like at that time one of like 11 or 12 yeah. chefs in the United States of America. Wild, wild. So what were your biggest challenges? Reflecting back at this time, your first restaurant going through, you're not just getting hired to do a job. You're you're building the job. You 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 know, you're you're steering the ship. Yeah. What were your biggest challenges, the two of you? Uh between the two of us? From a challenge standpoint, I mean, I don't making our make, making your way through construction. Yeah. That's challenge. That was a that was a new set of challenge. Uh, it's brutal, 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 and it gets really bad at the end. Yeah, really, really tough. Uh, owning it, like operating the service pattern and running service for us, was kind of you know wasn't that hard. That's we, what you were good at. Yeah, that yeah. was like I think fi- I think we've kind of felt <clears throat> like when construction's over, you're like, oh fuck, finally, yeah, uh, finally the part I know how to do. All, all the construction people, please go away and let me get to finally the part that I actually feel comfortable with instead of solving a plumbing problem yeah. or, you know, those well, suck. I mean, I, I kind so of that was the big challenge was a, getting through that. There's a part of me that, that wants to get, get into. How did you raise the money? But then I'm thinking to myself, when you got two stars behind you, was it hard to get investors? Uh, well, the first it's it's obviously a sore topic because when we were once we had it, once we had built this restaurant and we started operating it. I can promise you like the first like three years solid was nothing but head down and die. Just, just die every day. Just go, go, go. Every piece of that kitchen, every front of house employee, people sacrificed so much for that restaurant. Give me an example of the level of sacrifice. Dude, I think that's a relative term. No. Uh, oh man, we had, we had full, you want to talk about standards? We had standards over there that couldn't exist today. Uh, uh, only your immediate family's goings on will mean anything to this place. Your cousin's wedding, don't try. That will be offensive to the idea of what we're trying to do here. You're, you need a dog walker for real because this is your life. We are your girlfriend. Your, your dog is going to think you're the dog walker. For sure. <laughs> for sure. That I mean at every level. No one had personal lives there. N- yeah. No one. Marriages died yeah. at that restaurant. Uh, because that's all anybody ever did. So I wouldn't even be able to put a finger on any one particular. I mean, and we would run for clients in because we had the amount of hands that we did. Oh, oh my God. We w- there was nothing we wouldn't do for anyone, right? So if you were slipping up in the dining room and talking about the best thing you ever tasted was a caffeine-free diet Dr. Pepper, that would go get Googled and we would run to the 7-Eleven that had one in stock and show, and it would show up, right? If you uh, If you were angry at us and... We're like, oh man, last night's experience sucked because uh, my, my, you know, my martini was empty and I wasn't offered a second one or this, that, and the other, which happened. Then we showed up at her work with a whole martini set and a big apology letter saying, please forgive us, wow. right? We would just crush like that on the well, daily. It's, it's amazing because I feel like the time, the period that you're describing right now, um, like 2011 to 2000, I think 18, yeah. was at the pinnacle of amazing people outdoing amazing people. Yeah. And when you, that can only go so long before amazing people, no matter how amazing you are, just break. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that was a real unique time during this period where, like, how do you outdo Charlie Trotter? Right. You know, like, but people were. Right. And, like, at, at what point is good enough good enough? Right. What is that point? 
uh, in terms of like just how you're running your house? Yeah, well, yeah, like knowing what you know now after doing what you did, after telling your people that, I'm sorry, I don't care how much you loved your cousin, how close you were, like yeah. this takes priority. Yes. I mean, it's just who we were then. Mm. It's just what we were then. But I think... Not that we're not that now, but it's like we were saying in the beginning. You know, we don't have those hands. Like, I'll go back to the Peninsula Day when uh, a manager from, let's say, room services came from one of our Asia properties and showed up in Chicago, though I would love to watch the look on their faces mm-hmm. because they don't have 200 people to take pillows upstairs like they do over, like in Asia, right? The hands are not there. So you would watch them go through this process of like, oh my God, I have to do so much. There's just not 100 people around. At that time, there was, I don't know what, well, you know, the hospitality in general was this living, breathing organism. Everybody knew somebody, you know, my friends working here, my friends, a bartender over there. Like there was just this, it was so alive, yeah. man. There was this ongoing lineage of just, I worked here. Then I worked there. Then da, da, da. did you know that Paul Kahn's opening up another one or a this or a that, or, Oh my God, the Boca group just bought most of Wrigleyville and they're, they're like opening restaurants. It was just like that. Yeah. It was very alive, was man. Wild, yeah. And there were and 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 that gave birth, I would assume, to an employee available. Like you know, there were people working in that industry because it wasn't that bad. That's just not how it is now. Period. So now you are in a constant state of suffering. So what what is going on from that? What, what why do you think we are? I mean, obviously the pandemic had an influence. Yeah. Um. But is why aren't the numbers in the restaurant industry like the ones were? Well, I don't know. No one does. I think it's a, it's a death by a million cuts. Honestly, I think it's a bunch of things happening. Yeah, uh, I, I I would agree with you. I I don't I don't know that it's like ultimately definable as far as concerning the hospitality industry, and I don't know that it's any worse in the hospitality industry than it is in like nursing or education or police and fire or whatnot, right? Mm-hmm. Because you hear that they're all suffering. Yeah. Right. But because I have to have an opinion, here's what I would think. I would wonder. Um, we just unplugged everyone for two years and plugged everybody back in and expected them to go back to the old shitty job that they had. And now we're all surprised that, that they don't want to do that. So like sometimes I use this analogy for restaurant people and maybe it makes sense to them or maybe it doesn't, but you ever work at a restaurant for like three or four years and then you quit or get fired and you don't go back there for like eight or nine months, but then you go back there and you sit at the bar and you watch people ringing stuff in at the POS terminal and you're just filled with one emotion. Ew. Ew. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm not here anymore. Yeah. I'm so glad I'm not here anymore. I feel like that's just a human kind of like thing. And when we told everyone like, hey, it's over. Go back. Yeah. They for sure weren't going back to the old one. You know, now also too, I think, uh, we didn't get lazy, but we definitely got used to like a new type of schedule. Like we see a lot that the 7:30 want on reservations has bumped earlier, mm. and I think that's a result of everyone going to bed earlier, mm-hmm. right? It's kind of that you know, give me a five five thirty reservation all day long because yeah. I can be watching Game of Thrones by eight thirty <laughs> after that and snug in bed yeah. and right back to you know my bedtime routine that was gifted to me by COVID. I think we were all going to bed way earlier. I think there, it's like a it was a reset that happened for yeah. sure. Uh, I think that definitely plays into it i think that the gig economy is pulling from the same hiring 
pool. I think there's more the creator market of people just getting out. There's opportunity for people who are creators. You yourself, an artist, you know, performing artist. For sure. Uh, this industry attracts a lot of creators. But I also got to pay my bills. Yeah. So but I got to go to work. Every but here's day. the thing. There's ways to make money today that were never there before. True. Between Etsy and I'm fuck me. If I wasn't a podcaster podcasting about the restaurant business, right? I'd be working in restaurants, right? So there's just all these avenues right now of different ways to make money through this medium. That's the internet that was never there before. Yeah. And I think that pulls from our market. And like the other big one too, that was made apparent recently is around the same time that the pandemic was happening. Marijuana was becoming legalized across the country. Yeah. And that pulls from this market a lot too, because there's stoners in this industry. Yeah. Myself included. (laughs) Yeah. Like, you know, like, at all the, the, the all at once the, the hammer drops and all these these things are happening and they're yeah. all pulling from the same hiring yeah group. i think that's what i mean by death by a thousand cuts like it's just everything happening at once it's a I, weird time i think we can all agree that like there's a post-covid lens yeah. that we all kind of see reality uh, through now and there was a lot of is it worth it you know and how short time you know how 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 short of a time we are actually here there was just this new perspective on things, right? And everyone was kind of looking at it. And then someone entered the idea of like, well, will you go back to waiting tables? And they were like, oh no, fuck that. No, 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 no. That's not happening, right? No matter how I see what I see now, I am definitely not putting sauce on the side of anything. I'm not filling ramekins of tartar sauce. I'm not marrying ketchups. I'm not waiting tables with an eight table station and you know, three of them are five tops. And I'm not doing that, right? I feel... Sometimes like uh, what was the the chef in uh, Nashville who retired and wrote that article about saying goodbye to the restaurant business? Did you see that one? It's like a big was deal when he wrote it. Yeah, he's like a thing over there. I look, look at me talking about stuff I do not know. Do you know I don't Sam know his name. Sam's off camera. Right. Was it a well-known chef out there? tossing his knives and basically, you know, sold his portion of his restaurant group. And he was like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm out, man. I'm out. And his. Goodbye letter, if you read it, and I, I read most of it, <laughs> was really, it hurt because it was so true. It was so true. Sean he, Brock? No, it's not Brock. No, I know it wasn't Sean, him. I just did a quick Google search that says Sean Brock leaves restaurant group to focus on that. Well, yeah, was, that happened, I key, think, key a words, minute ago. That was in the, I was like, that's not right. Yeah. Um, but do you know the one I'm speaking of? It was Mike like, uh, I'll for sure find it for you. Yeah. But... Uh, yeah, he he talked about uh, he talked about how uh, everybody thinks that chefs cook, but we're cleaning like seventy percent of our lives is just scrubbing and cleaning. I mean, he really punched at the soul of your day. Yeah, and reading it like you'd be an idiot not to just be like oh a little bit, you know, just yeah. oh oh yeah, because it is like he. I think he even said it was like he was freed from prison, or it was like the end of a prison sentence. I'm pretty sure he said that in the article. It was horrible to read. You were like, oh, you're just so right a little bit. So there, if that's true and we can kind of agree on it a little bit, then for sure that's got to have something to do with the fact that post-COVID, after everyone spending a year and a half solid in their apartments, when they came back out, they were like, I don't know, the restaurant life, nights, weekends, holidays i have to say goodbye to all of those things i mean meanwhile salesforce can't get most of their people to go back into the office like (laughs) you know or so the news tells me 
not talking about Salesforce particular, but you know, a lot of people are work from home and it's hard to get them out of their work from home. They like it. Of course they like it. Yeah, man. Wild times, but we, I mean, I, this was a good, the conversation was going in this direction and oh, yeah. I felt like it was a, I wanted to get it out. Cause I was curious to what your opinions would be, but I do want to wrap up what happened at grace. Um, sure. I did try to watch the documentary. It's not easy to find right now. It's not on, the it's doc, not on Netflix anymore. It's only on Amazon prime, only on Amazon prime. You can get it on Amazon prime. Okay. Um, but that's, I think the only place to see it. Okay. Yeah. You can um, rent. I uh, no, sorry. That's not true. I'll get in so much trouble. Uh, Apple, you could rent it on Apple uh, TV okay. or whatever it is. iTunes. There was a part of me, honestly, iTunes. I, I like. I was afraid to watch it because I don't like to know too much. Yeah, and I don't always like to let my perspective be influenced by somebody who's creating and putting their perspective of something out into the world because I want a clean slate. Yeah. Uh, so, what was what was the origin of that documentary? What was this, <laughs> like? How did that become a thing? The documentary uh, is the brainchild of Kevin Pang. And Mark Helenowski. It's called Four Grace. And it's called Four Grace. And you can get it on iTunes and you can watch it on Apple TV or uh, on Amazon Prime. And I would never uh, say watch it if I didn't think a restaurant person was, you know, you'll enjoy it. You'll enjoy it as a restaurant person. It's a very enjoyable film, uh, which is to say that Kevin and Mark killed it. They did a great job. We're talking about two guys with two cameras. That's it. Right. This was not done by a production company or whatever. I had Kevin on uh, my podcast and it's actually really good because the sole core of it all is show up, show up. Kevin just kept showing up. He just kept showing up. Him and Mark would not leave. Yeah. We got in fights. That's, we, that's we, my motto, by the way. Just keep showing up. Showing up. Yeah. That's 100% of the sec- sorry, success of anything you're going to look at. Show up every day. Don't stop showing up. It's the, the 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 saddest lesson that you could ever not you know know. So was that like the what was that was that the narrative they were trying to show in the documentary? Was that uh, no? It was, his, it was when Kevin and uh, Kevin and I had a conversation about it, and it that was basically how that documentary came to be. How it was, I mean, the fact that it ended up on Netflix for five years, the fact that it was uh, like we all thought. I watched it, and you know, we did like a little premiere for it and stuff here in Chicago, and I was like, great job, guys. I mean, it's really awesome. And then Kevin called me freaking out one day that it had been accepted to South by Southwest. Wow. See? Uh, now, previous to your wow, <laughs> I didn't know what that was. Yeah. I was like, what is this? It's a place you can go and learn how to build robots and see stand-up. So I kind of <laughs> like it. And they also show documentaries and yeah. stuff, and it got accepted to that, which is a big deal. And then from there, landed on Netflix for five years. No documentary does that. P.S. And by the way, you can't you can't. That is a very difficult place to find yourself uh, to, to, to obtain that slot on Netflix, a documentary. And it's not like a just up thing. It's not like a chef's table, you know. Yeah. So I'm really proud of it for that sense. And I'm very proud of the guys for making it beautiful. Um, so ultimately, Grace closes. Yeah. Um, I don't want to spend a ton of time here, but you don't have to. Is there? Is there? Yeah, please. <laughs> let's let's just skip this. Um, what were the lessons, though, for people listening to this? What what could you have done to change that? Oh, scene? they're endless. Uh, they're endless. Here, here's here's. You want to give like a quick well with grace? Here's uh oh. You want to talk, here's another mantra for you. Yeah. Act like you own it. Mm. Act like you own it. That's a big one here. Act like you own it. Everything. That's one thing that Curtis and I have in common from our junior years, wherever we worked. We act like we acted like we owned it. And when we opened Grace, we acted like we owned it. Yeah. But we didn't own it. 
So if you don't own it, just imagine you're a cashier at Target and you want to know what the numbers look like at Target this year for your location. So you go up to Mr. Target and you go, hey, show me the numbers. Mr. Target looks at you and goes, well, you're a cashier. Yeah. You're an employee. I don't do that. So make the cashier Curtis and replace the Target with Grace, a restaurant named by him for him for like everything. Right. And then imagine him asking to know what's going on financially with the location. And Mr. Target's like, you're an employee. You don't get to know that information. Mm. That is going to die so fast. That is going to rot and fester so fast. The shadiness of that just instantly. Mm. I don't trust you. I don't trust you. That's you need so that. awful. You need trust in a oh, yeah. oh, without it, it dies. Yeah, it, it it died so quick, guys. It died so fast. It'd be what we should talk about is how amazing it is that we kept it for the five years. Yeah, that I was going to say you went. It wasn't like a, like five years is in, in itself a success in this brother. Industry, if you ask that me. conversation between the cashier and Mister Target that happened like the second year. Wow, and he stuck around for four years. And we battled through that. You, I should say you stuck around for four years, well, both of you. It, look, eventually, uh, you know, you, you try and you try and you try and you try, and then and then when it's done, it's done. So th- that was one of the things I wanted to bring up earlier, but I, I knew it would come out eventually, is the idea of what does your partnership agreement look like? Is that something that you would have changed, or would you have just straight out owned it? Well, as far as Grace is concerned, yeah. well, we should have... It's almost embarrassing to tell you, but we should have had a couple of attorneys in the room, mm. but we didn't. So what was that relationship? You and uh, you and Chef Duffy were the operating, were you even partners in the business? No, Equity? no. Get profit share? No, like let's get something very wow. clear. We were employees of a business. We had zero ownership. But the two of you left together from your previous employment to go do your own thing. Yes. In your mind, what? why was going to get some other people to open a restaurant for us the way to go? Uh, we're getting back into that frame of mind then. We were... It's just very difficult to explain how we just ended up going. We just went... It's tough because I know I'm not alone, right? Like there's a fellow restaurateur here in Chicago, Ty Dang, Mm -hmm. who had a restaurant down the street from Grace, but a couple blocks east of it called Embea, named after his childhood name. And uh, his story starts with he owns it and ends with the owner calling the police and having him escorted out of the kitchen. Oh, my gosh. Right? It goes that way. I don't know what to tell you other than. We fell down this rabbit hole of opening our dream. Is that, do you think what it was? Exit. Yeah, man. Blinded by the yes, dream. Yes, yeah. 100%. Yeah. And then as a good serpent does, it slides something in front of you and just says, all you got to do is sign this and this. And of course, it's got promises in it, right? But you don't have an attorney standing next to you. Mm. So what are you doing signing that? Yeah. I would have smacked me in the head twice. Mm. A hundred times over, but we were already shopping for spaces. Our architects were being brought in to like start to make things come to life. I'm looking at sketches of the dining room. Like we're there. Mm -hmm. This is all happening. And then 
you know, your your partnership agreement is an employment agreement. Yeah. That's all that is. It's just an employment agreement. Was there paper with words on it? Yeah. <laughs> Did we pay enough attention to it? Of course. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Like, no, no. Like, there should have been a million alarms going off. But this this whole is this is the reason why this podcast exists, though. It's yeah. Because we like there's so many people who have come before us who've gone through the motions and we just don't know better. Yeah. Like, we're here to cook and serve. And when it comes, we're so blinded and consumed by that. When it comes to the things that we need to know, the other things that nobody discusses, that stuff needs to be public knowledge. We need to share people, this information. If you assume that along, like let me, uh, in, in discussing my path or Curtis's path, if you think that along that path, there's this part where lawyers come in and teach you shit, you're wrong. Yeah. You're wrong. It doesn't happen that way. You gotta go get it. Chefs, are in kitchens, they, they, they go from gig to gig to spot. You know, you watch their, their, their careers kind of grow and do the things that they do. And at no point is it guaranteed that a trustworthy, honest person is going to enter the picture and go, let me help you, protect you, build things for you, get decisions that you are not good at out of the way. Deal. There's a whole world of shit. A whole world of shit that has to be dealt with outside the kitchen. Yeah. Most of it lives outside the kitchen. Yeah. And there's no guarantee that that person's going to be this. We met a bad one, but it's not alone. There are millions of them out there. Yeah. You want a lesson? Know that nefarious agents work the system. Be advised. Mm-hmm. Very nefarious. Heat seeking missiles that will destroy your life. So keep your eyes open and make sure that if you're a chef or a you know a front out, whatever it is, to have your legal around you at all times. And if we're in discussions for a partnership and at any given point you go, I'm just going to have my attorney jump in on the call next week or whatever, and I flinch in any direction, then you run. You run away. You run. You don't walk. You run. Yeah. You, you Whoever you're talking to, when you say, oh, you know, I'm going to bring my attorney on the... They should open their arms up. Oh, thank God, they should yeah. say. Thank God you will have a translator. That's amazing because we're about to discuss a bunch of nonsense with a bunch of vocabulary in it that any normal American would never know in a million years. And you need a translator. Yeah. And that's really what it comes down to is you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what to look out for. You don't know what's good, what's bad. And if you don't know, then what? you like... It, it's just a way it's just a, a mediator to communicate is all you have to look at it and one of the biggest lessons i learned in the show is that if you're opening a restaurant like have budget for two key players a lawyer yes and an accountant yes those are the two things if you don't know what you're doing you will end fast and when you're with your attorney or on the phone when the deal starts to get put together or you know when it when the rubber hits the road when everyone's when that call those there are calls and there are calls and when everyone's on the phone discussing how it's going to break down and how you're because no there is no one deal that's that's a good lesson there's no one way to work it right other restaurant groups may have their formulas but when when you as a chef want to take your thing, your widget, and you've got your box and it's kind of designed and you're now out in that phase where you're collecting capital to make that thing a reality so that you can build it. Uh, where was I going? What was I talking about? I just lost my train of thought. Uh, lawyers, accountants, uh, partnerships, uh, snakes. Everybody has a different <laughs> deal. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. When you're figuring out your deal, ask the stupidest question possible that comes to your brain. If you're confused about it, if there's a section of it you don't get, I asked for my waterfall to be explained to me like 7,000 times. Yeah. I had it memorized at a certain point. Yeah. Oh, okay, so here's how it goes. We make a dollar, the dollar goes here, yeah. and then it gets this way and this way, and then these people get this and this and this, and then when we have this much money, then it gets cut differently. I, I had it memorized. Yeah. I've completely forgot it at this yeah. point. But at a time when we were putting it all together, I for sure. And what you find when you ask those stupid questions, this is the biggest part of it, is that uh, it ain't stupid at all. And you end up watching everybody go into a whole other version of conversation because, yeah. you, you know, yeah. you get to a call where it's almost done and you're like, I don't want to ask don't this. Don't let your one, ego get in the way. No, never. Yeah. And it, it, it's Ignorant is a word that I think people hold with like negative. Like it's We're all ignorant at one point. Ignorant literally just means you don't know. And you don't know a lot. And it's okay not to know, but it's worse to not know and to not let anybody know that you don't know because that's how you get into trouble because you don't ask the questions because you might reveal that you don't know. Who gives a fuck? Going through construction is the best lesson of that because yeah. what are you, a plumber? What are you, an electrician? What are you, <laughs> HVAC expert? Yeah. You know you know this stuff? You don't know anything. And so you are constantly having everyone pull everything back and translate it into English Yeah. because they'll talk about joints and pipes and, oh, man. Yeah. You know? I Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I'm ready to transition. Yeah, to, sure. But real quick, um, any any lessons from you guys? I think from the story goes, um, Duffy walked out and the next day you were right behind him. Yeah, I won't uh, deprive you of a good one. I mean, it's uh, it was like uh, an, an epic situation that you saw coming. I think the hard part for like maybe Chef Rye is that we could watch this train. You know what's going to happen, right? Yeah. Uh, I can't say enough. There were conversations like a million of them before we left a million conversations where we would all be in the room. And when proposed our departure, the other side did not flinch gentlemen, not for a second, not one single flinch. But if they didn't think that you and Duffy were behind the the success of that, if that, that, that they could continue at that level without that pedigree steering the ship, what the hell were they on? Like it is, it's not the brand that makes a restaurant. It's the people that are in it. You know, you're speaking normally (laughs) and logically. Yeah. And when that signal went to the other side, it was batted away like an annoying bug. Yeah. And I mean, like shut up. And so when we made, uh, and we could not speak to the other employees, you understand, you couldn't tell anyone that we were gone or we were going to, you couldn't because then you're messing around with somebody else's toy, yeah. right? I don't own it. Those aren't mine. Those aren't my employees. They work for me, but they're not mine, yeah. right? And I can't meddle. So I can only leave. So we left. And after that, you had, a, you, you had a mass exodus. Legit walk. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You had a legit grab your knives. Wow. Man. That was before Christmas. So that part sticks like that part hurts because that restaurant was family on top of it. Like I have different restaurants and different experiences. That one was very special. It's very unique. And the death of it sucks brutally. Uh, And one of the shittiest parts of it is that you leave feeling like you seriously let people down and disrupted people's lives. But I swear to you, 
That's a big there part. There was no other yeah. way. That's a big part of this conversation in our industry. And many, maybe one of the most unique things is that we are, we, we identify with our restaurants. It's a part of us. So like it's, it's, it's like we, it's so hard to not take it personal because yes. we are so close to it. We're there 80 plus hours a week, if not more, you know, like it, if you, it's like losing a child. I can only imagine. And what's, I completely agree with you and I can't remember her name, but there was a pastry chef at this charity event one time and people were just like reading things. And she was reading this experience that she had had about the loss of this gig. And I can't remember where it was, but I do remember it was a restaurant renting space inside of a hotel. So you kind of know how I feel about hotels. Like you would think that that would just be a job, but it was Dana Cree. That's who it was. Chef Dana Cree. It was not just a job. Like when she lost or left that gig, it was like a piece of her died. We restaurant people do that shit. That's what I think is different from us and working at a regular thing. We are, we identify with our gigs. They represent who we are as people. It's not just what we do. It's, this is a represent, representation of who I am yeah. as a person, whether that's a spot on that glass or that fork gets meased incorrectly or, or the captain can't describe the dish with enough umspa or, or, or whatever. Wherever, that, wherever the screw up is, that's a representation of us, mm. not just the gig. It's not just a job. And it's crazy because that is true of it, like, yeah, of things you don't even own. Dana didn't own that restaurant. She, she wasn't yeah. any part. She wasn't promised anything. There was no, there was none of that. She just left that job and was kind of lost for a minute and kind of questioned who she was in the midterm. Mm-hmm. What a weird career. So what was happening in the two years between 2020 and 2018 when you guys what was it was December of 2008. So it was really just a year because you guys well had yeah. 2019. Yeah. Um, you must have known that you were going to continue to work together. Well, for sure. That ne- that's the worst part. I think there's so many worst parts about the grace, uh, departure, but one of them is we're young and we're not done. And there's like 500 things that we still need to do. Like there's more food ideas. There's, 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 there's different expressions. There's better ways to do what we did as amazing as grace was. And it was amazing. And it was special for all the things we did it on a budget of not like, honestly, we barely made it through that build. We built it in an old space that was never like you wouldn't talk about all the oh what bot what what does your box have? This box was fucked. <laughs> it was so so not right. It had a basement filled with it used to be an old pickled herring factory. That's what the space was for a really long time. We turned that into a beautiful restaurant. It was a beautiful restaurant, but that thing, oh my god. So we were so ready to design a new box and really do it this time yeah. and really do it. So, and like I told you that conversation, the first conversation that was that, that broke trust, that was like year two, maybe at the end of year two, that thing lived for five years. So for sure we were dreaming around, you know, in our brains, like how could you not? Cause you knew the demise in the end of this was not going to last. And so for sure, uh, plans of what what to do next and where we were going to go next with this was me and, yeah for sure. So what Curtis were you were what were you going to do different? What did you learn about this as far as getting into partnerships? What were you to protect yourself going into the next deal? How are you doing it? Different? It took ninety solid days, three months of intense 
conversations to come up with a partnership agreement between you and our new partner. Yeah. For between me and, and Curtis and our attorney and our, our investors, our partners for sure. So, and with our setup, there was like a lead partner that was like, Hey, I want to come in and I want to help. Yeah. (laughs) You can imagine Curtis and I like, I'm sure that the press of you guys just walking out too probably had a bunch of people who are just who who know the industry, who are investors, probably drooling. Like, oh man, these two are in the market. Yeah, I wouldn't say drooling because I definitely had to get on my motorcycle and ride around and have cocktails where I did not want to have cocktails all the time. Mm -hmm. Like I had to talk and talk. And like I said, there's uh, there's no one deal. Right. So once you have your deal, meaning you give me money and this is how I give it back to you. You know, you can work that a billion different ways, right? So we set up our deal to, and, and would show that to someone, right? And they would look at it and be like, I don't like this deal. So like, I mean, this doesn't work for me. Are, are you willing to talk about how to structure the deal and what, what like it's elements a, of it that aren't going to get anybody in trouble? Just for the end yes. user thinking like, hey, like I need to write a deal too. And I don't know where to start. Like what's yeah. the advice? Oh, God. I'm not a fine... Like, you're asking the sommelier about finance. <laughs> this is why you hire the attorney. <laughs> I get that. But, like, what were the key things that you know are included in that agreement that you can pay for to the listeners? Uh, I mean, what are the things that you want to know? Uh, oh, God, dude. If you don't have the answer, it's fine. I mean, I understand what this is. I'm trying to think of how to even touch it. I'm trying to think of how to even touch it. Um. You want to be fair to yourself, right? Someone helps you set up that pro forma. No normal person can go that far. Yeah. You know, unless you're unless you're unless you're a chef and wicked bad at QuickBooks <laughs> and psycho good at spreadsheets and you can work algorithms like nobody's business and you can like I don't I don't know. I have some talent in that area, but it definitely has a stopping point. What was the key? So you get someone in it with you yeah. to kind of set that. Now for us, it's like, look, we're going to charge this much a client. And we're going to do this much. Like, so for us, it was like, uh, I think I remember I used to say 40, 40, 40, 50, 50. So we're going to be open Tuesday through Saturday. And we're going to do 40 clients Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and 50 on Friday and 50 on Saturday. And we're going to be closed on Sunday and Monday. And, and ours is somewhat easier because it's just this one ticket price to this one show. You can always add on a wine pairing and do other things. Which makes Proformers much easier when it's that level of structure. It's too. so easy. Yeah. You're just like, oh, this is what we sell. Our widget is this. And then you could ask yourself to come up with a decent guest average. How many of those clients will take part in the wine pairing and how many won't? So you just come up with like a, you know, an average. I'm very pessimistic. So I always shy. My numbers always suck. They look very awful. I want to just paint the worst case scenario so I can sleep and not have any of them mad at me. Uh, so you start there, right? And then this, and then you just look at it on the spreadsheet as it compounds over a year and you go, oh, wow, look, this business will do two and a half million dollars worth of sales or whatever. What's it going to cost to run? You come up with a bunch of ugly numbers. This is how much we'll spend on payroll. Four captains, four back waiters, three sommeliers, 11, 12 in the kitchen, plus a CDC and a two Sue's and Curtis. So when you're going through this pro forma, are you being conservative or you think you may be like, this is what we think it's going to be two Psalms, maybe a third. I think, uh, oh no, I'm always super conservative. Okay. But then when you look at your numbers, sometimes they're so bad. You'd be like, oh shit, no one's going to give me any money if that's what it looks like. <laughs> so I got to, I got to zhush it up over here and say, all right, maybe, maybe we don't need that much or maybe payroll won't look like that or maybe this won't cost that much or. Or what? What? Or whatever? 
But ultimately, what was the most important thing for you and Chef Duffy going into this new agreement with a partner? What was the thing? Protection, that you to- per, per, protection and trust. And, and like I said, the ours took three solid months of putting people on the phone over and over and over again, discussing every little nook. Like it would get so weird with Curtis in the room talking about what happens if he dies. But you got to have that conversation. Yeah. Like that's why it's difficult. You got to you got to talk a lot about getting divorced before you get married. Yeah. Like try and have that with your significant other before you get married. Who would get this speaker? Who would get those <laughs> records? Who gets the couch? Who would get the dogs? Fight about let's fight about that. Like, you know, how would this look if it goes bad? A good agreement session will include a lot of those conversations. Yeah. It's better to have those conversations when things are good than when they're bad. Right? Yeah. What happens if Muser just becomes a raging alcoholic and just starts running through the dining room offending people with his would-be humor? <laughs> what do you do then? What's that process look like? Yeah. Um, you just lay it all out, man. Yeah. And, and you lay it all out with your protection, with your attorney. And then all of that makes its way to paper. So how many partners are there all together here? Uh, we have a few. We have, we have a few under 10. Are they strategic partners? Uh, what do you mean by strategic? Are you bringing people on that are investors that may have a design mm-hmm. firm? Correct. Uh, no, not new. No, we have one set. One, one, one of our groups of partners is with us on the daily, basically with me. Who I talk to all the time. Operating partner. Yeah. And, uh, look, it's like I said, I, I'm, I'm not joking. I'm a sommelier version of a front of house kind of runner, right? I don't have a degree in finance. Yeah. Is that Come still on, your you learning gotta, this to this day or are you beyond? No, no, I just it? walk. Now I'm an owner. So I just walk around. And I talk to everybody all day long, all day, all day long. You're like, doing it right now. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, show up. Yeah. Show up. Yeah. Uh, what do I have going on today? Different things on different days, but in house from nine to nine, mm-hmm. you know, like don't leave. At all. Is Go that to the, work. Is that the truth with Chef Duffy? Is he more of... Yeah, a- as much as much as he can. He gets different in busier ways. His job calls him out of the kitchen on the regular. Mm-hmm. It gets quite frustrating. Yeah. So he's got travel he's got to deal with on top of making sure that what's going on in now both kitchens is on point. So he's, very, he's got to be very strategic and very careful with his time. Uh, I try and nest and create my environment. I don't, I'm not in for like, I like going places. I like being at places. I just don't like getting there. Mm. So like airports, hospitals, ugh, I'm yeah. not about them. <laughs> what about the box? Let's talk about the box. Let's yeah. talk about the location and the actual physical box. Sure. Uh, forever. Yes. Yeah. So when we started looking, uh, that box over there was about 6,500 square feet. That's, that's a good base, right? For us, for what we needed to do. Um, Walked around it with our architect squad, right? Christopher Lawton and Micah Stanley uh, from Lawton and Stanley Architects. They they designed Grace. They were a big portion of making sure that Ever was going to be successful. So we brought them in right away. Uh, and every time I found a box that I thought would work, then Christopher and Micah were my first phone call. I'm like, oh, come look at this one. Come look at this one. And they would come and walk with their, it with, with me. their filter and see things. That you and they would seen. be like, oh, yeah. well, that can't move. And that this, that and the other and blah, blah, blah. When you get super serious about a box, if you're really nice to your design and architect team, they'll kind of scope it for you and give you some layouts. Kitchen can go here. The dining room can go here. Or we could put the kitchen over here and the dining room over yeah. here. Or we could break it up this way. Yeah. These are just basic Legos, but 
they help you kind of get emotionally attached to an idea or, or a set of layout that might actually work, uh, given all your dreams and ambitions for what you want to do. Yeah. And forever, those dreams and ambitions were huge, yeah. man. They were like, we wanted crazy shit. I wanted big cave walls in the entrance, and I wanted a big swoopy walkway into the dining room, and I was obsessed with that feeling that you get when you go to Wrigley, and you're walking up the steps, and you can kind of hear the crack of the bat. You can hear the audience roar, mm. and you can hear all the activity, but you can't see it just yet. I love those canyon walls that just kind of give you those little reveals of like, oh, what's back there? But you can't see yet. You're going this way. And... How do you know? So, yeah, how many square feet thing is and where the kitchen goes, and where the dining room goes. And then after that, you figure out how to execute all your little dreams and ambitious ways of walking into the room. Does it all work? What about um, the physical location is it for uh, for a restaurant that yes. is a destination restaurant? Yes. Do you think location is as important. No, because it is a destination restaurant. So you're going to like I felt always that for what we were going to do after Grace, it didn't have to worry that much, that much. Don't expect people to, you know, come on, be smart, right? You're going to further away you get from where everybody's at is your ask is, you know, a lot of people or some you may lose. Uh, so for uh, real estate purposes, I like to kind of just throw the ball a little bit outside the backyard. So we're about four or five blocks off of like what all the craziness is on Fulton Market. And by uh, craziness, I would mean like the Google buildings down there. So Google's Midwest headquarters. And that creates a lot of foot traffic and a lot of I need a coffee. I need a, a bagel. I, I need this. So there's, so the F&B outlets over there are humming. Timeout marketplaces over there. And inside that, there's like, I don't know, 40 different versions of lunch and a bar upstairs. Um, Nick and Grant are over there with the aviary and next and on and on it goes. There's a lot over there. There is nothing where I am <laughs> yet. Yet it's coming. You're watching the construction come down. Well, that's a like cool. A that's one of the things I was hoping you'd bring up is I think a lot of people are, they think they have to go in it to be, to, to you know, they have to go. Yeah, to the I definitely agree with you. I don't agree. Yeah. I think it's on the edge. Yeah. It's, it's, it's looking at the markets and looking what's happening on the edge of those markets getting in early and also ten, generally speaking, it tends to be on the edge of the market where you're, where maybe not for you because you might have a higher pedigree target market, but for, for most restaurants, uh, their target market is usually like mid twenties to, you know, late thirties, like younger people, right. Yes. That go out a lot. And that's generally where they live on the edge. They're not, yeah. they, they, they can't afford to live in the shit. They're on the edge of the shit, but they spend more money going out trying to meet people. And, and affordability a, yeah. for us was, it was also key. Uh, yeah. We had a, a, a great landlord who stepped in and kind of saw value in, in what we were going to do and had the ability to do the things that we needed them yeah. to do in order to make this thing work. And they knew that we were five blocks off of sexy town. Yeah. Right. And, and they see tenants like you and they think that's draw. They're going to bring other talent. Exactly. Yeah. They want good neighbors. Really? Yeah. Basically that's all that is. It's like, Oh, you'd be an awesome neighbor, yeah. you know? Uh, yeah. So the other thing I love about this space is that there's room to do stuff. I feel like you, you have after growing, going in, opening like we just i thought we were in ever and i was like what the hell's going on here i was like i didn't know they're under they're remodeling uh, but so there's ever your second restaurant that you opened with um 
Duff, Chef Duffy. Yes. After closing Grace. Yes. Now you have your third restaurant that's about to open after. Yeah. Uh, so what, like, what, what's the vision for these? Like, what is the idea behind so, this? So uh, first, the ever after joke is over, right? So we're not going to continue it on after that. <laughs> I was like, somebody I didn't think I told a joke, right? Did I? No, no, no. <laughs> but it, you get what I'm saying, right? Like <laughs> ever after. Uh, it was cute. And I'm like, oh, as soon as that idea hit the table, you're like, I'm not going to destroy that one. <laughs> like too many people thought, oh, it's so cute <laughs> that uh, I'm good at destroying ideas, by the way. But that one, I'm like, that's going to stick. There's no way. Uh, it's a cocktail lounge with small bite menus and so on and so forth attached to it um and yeah you're right after we built ever there were empty spaces next to us right like i I would tell the listener that where we're at in the west loop which the west loop in chicago is like this big hustle and bustle i mean you can count the cranes right if you go to the top of a roof you could it's like 14 15 buildings going up right now the nobu hotel just showed i mean just you know that's why i call it sexy town there's a lot going on and i'm over on a section with a bunch of empty parking lots, which you know, if you, you know, watching things happen, you're like, I bet these go. Mm-hmm. And so the restaurant being a destination restaurant, just a few blocks off a of crazy town. I thought that's a win. It's just another like, you know, minute and a half in your Uber. So I'm not really that I'm not asking. I don't think for that much yeah. to be able to uh, get some play out of my landlord by putting something that we all know isn't in sexy town. So don't talk to me about sexy town rent i want better rent yeah and then what to do next to that with these empty spaces that are right next door to ever restaurant um the cocktail lounge thing i kind of pushed back on for a while because it seemed like it was one of those expected moves everybody does it where they handed it and that's you know it's just a little too obvious maybe but enter christopher lawton and micah stanley our architect and design team who started playing around with me and my the, the, we just started goofing around and then cool stuff comes out of those goof around sessions. And then they start sending sketches of what it might look like or feel like. And I'm like, Oh man, this would be kind of cool. So although maybe I'm not all the way down on a cocktail lounge, I'll design the shit out of one for sure, man. It's going to be awesome. And so we went into really trying to make it work. Then is it going to have a menu showed up and is it? Yes, it is. Well, what's the kitchen look like? Well, that quickly let sorry not to be repetitive but that led to fire and black iron now we're tapping into all these here we go yeah so the kitchen's not going to be that small because basically the way the building saw it is there were two separate spaces next door and there was no way to get black iron and get an actual kitchen that can cook food that curtis is going to be happy with not that there's a lot of food it's a cocktail lounge but even still it's going to have to have the basic requirements for him to be happy so the kitchen kept getting bigger and bigger and kicking over into the next door space. Yeah. So we took both of those spaces. And then on the second side of it, we put something called the canvas, which is just a nice, big, open banquet space that we can do anything from like 60 to 80 covers, bend it, twist it, reinvent it, you know, yeah. uh, uh, corporate events or a corporate dinner or, or whatnot. We can custom fabricate experiences for you. Um, it's not what we do it ever. It's, it's something just to offer for larger parties. Yeah. But I think that going into a, a space, an area where there's that lateral room for growth. To, so you don't have to spread your team apart. Yeah. So if you can keep your team under one roof, so you have to, from, I, and I haven't gotten the tour, so I don't know exactly the layout. We haven't been in ever yet, but I'm assuming that they're 
they're both in this building, correct? Like yeah. Adjacent to each just other. down the hall. Yeah. And then you have your, your, your office here too. Yeah. So there's the front facing, you're on the street. There's the, like the, the, the street facing ever after. And then behind that all, it's all connected in the back. Yeah. So in just being able to like keep that all in one spot into like, if, if Duffy needs to like, you know, go from like this kitchen to the next kitchen, or if you need to like slide people around, I'm I don't know if that happens or not, but it just makes it so much easier for growth. The first thing I said yesterday, I was watching our uh, bar team get ready for a friends and family service or whatever, and I just I thought to myself, they're gonna, at some point on our opening night, they're going to hit some alarm, and it's going to send some code out to all the ever like Justin, a bunch of my ever guys are going to come running down the hallway. Yeah end up taking stations for like 20 minutes, get them out of the weeds and then end up running back <laughs> yeah. into ever and finishing but service it, over there. Yeah. I think there's something to be said about giving yourself space to grow yeah. and then also starting where you can knowing that you're going to grow, but not overextending from day one. I mean, that was one thing that the box had ever did not provide was just anywhere to stand outside of the pattern. Yeah. So I've always said uh, that ever restaurant is just that it is a restaurant. Every square piece of it is meant to be for a waitstaff person to stand or be in the pattern. And if it's not, it's for the client. And so when I go over there and want to like stand around and watch service, it's super annoying because mm. I'm in the way. I'm always, always, always in the way. Mm-hmm. If you're not cooking or serving or sitting, you don't really have anywhere to go. Yeah. So when these little like office suites opened up right down the hallway from the space, I was like, Oh, we have to take those because we're growing and people need, you know, you need the space. Everyone has had their entire career spent fighting over one computer in one office, sending all the email, you know what I mean? It's just restaurants are never allotted the ability to set aside space for uh, things like changing rooms, lockers and office space, where four or five people can hang out and get things done. A bed. These, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, these are things that are not uh, that, that that are they're not in the plans, you yeah. know, from the get go. Yeah, and they're desperately needed most of the time. What haven't we discussed? Um, something that you think needs to be brought to the, the conversation? Oh God, I don't know. What's near and dear to your heart right now that you want to use this platform as a sounding board for something that you think? needs to be discussed right now in the industry. I mean, what's near and dear to my heart is employee retention. Yeah. That's what's near and dear to my heart. Stability and uh, keeping, keeping the employees around for as long as possible and kind of along the way and learning how to do that, you know, just be as smart and as mindful as we possibly can. So what have can. you learned about how to do that? Well, I mean, it's getting more and more challenging with the lack of hands available to us that employee retention, it's like it's always been up there. Uh but you know the kind of like the age old philosophy where it's like, listen, I'm going to take care of you, and you're going to take care of the client, and then the client takes care of the house, mm-hmm. right? That's how that's how this is. Uh, just want to be as hypersensitive as I can to our ability, me and everybody that works with me, to kind of be that concierge to the employee. So right? what does that look like? What are you doing? Oh man, Paint what that it picture. really looks like is giving Octavio Saturdays off so he can go to his truck shows, mm. but still being a Michelin starred restaurant on Saturdays. That's what it looks. That's <laughs> That's what it looks like. Are you doing it? Yeah, we have to because otherwise he'll choose Chuck. He'll choose his truck. But 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 I think what are you? So I think the question is the balance. Like, do, can we sacrifice one Saturday? Yeah, to lose this key player to have him for another year, right? Or 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 you want the funnier one? Is it is a uh, a restaurant owners can probably uh, relate? Is uh, that person as Awful as that it has been to swallow, 
And the reason why we've swallowed this episode, that episode, not showing up, this, that, and the other, right? (laughs) The reason why we take those punches is because I fear what tomorrow's service would look like without them. Mm. But guess what? Today's the day. You're out of here, (laughs) right? You're crossing these bridges where you're like, listen, as painful as tomorrow's going to be without that set of hands, we cannot operate anymore accepting that like we just we just can't at some point we have to create the most stable environment possible you know so that we can what does that look like creating that stable environment paint that picture uh layers of people that can step up yeah oh yeah that's a good way to look at it yeah i mean captains in the making back back waiters in the making uh having a food runner line you know was so important to us is having five or six people standing in the kitchen at the ready waiting for Expo's call. Mm. Two beef, 12. Boom! Hands on those beef. Because if final sauce or final herb or that final signature moment goes down on that beef and there's not two food runners parked behind that chef to wait for hands, God, man, there's like ramifications to that. It just happens over and over again. The balance is those two food runners that want that day off to do something that's special and near and dear to their heart for their sense of balance to have what they want to be happy people which you want them to be but to do that you have to survive that night without them so they can have that peace to make them happy what are the other benefits beyond flexible hours that you offer mm. i mean an environment where nobody says no not nothing anything you want to learn about is taught to you immediately and shown to you twice over mm. any manager can say i can't write now Mm-hmm. But if you want to taste something, smell something, eat something, drink something, learn about the predicate system of you know German Riesling or whatever, that the house supplies you with that. But then also, I you know in that I would say to the average you know person working at a restaurant, uh, let's be real, you know it, it is a job. It's a job. It's work. Yeah. You know, and you're not going to go to work every day and it's going to inspire the shit out of you and fill you with all this passion and drive and give you, there are limits. It's a job. There's a part of your day that's just work, man. And then, yeah, every once in a while, your job re just reinvigorates you and shows you something amazing or whatever. But that's not every day, you know, not every day you're going to come in. It's just going to be all awesome town. A lot of times it's just jobs, just work, you know, executing to the highest level. There's no, there's nothing fun about getting on somebody because their napkin folds are a quarter inch off. There's nothing fun about that. There's nothing fun about getting jabbed at for it. And there's nothing fun about the person doing the jabbing. It's exhausting. But agreeing to those standards is something that you got to want to do. Yeah. And there's, it's like, uh, uh, sometimes I say like in that, on that, for that standard Hawk, it's like you almost like being punished a little yeah. bit, right? It's like, oh, I got a spanking today, but that's what we want around here. Yeah. You know, otherwise, standards slip and so, we're just another house. So there's one last thing I'm curious to talk about before we start to wrap up and, and head to the speed round. Uh, I don't always get to talk to Michelin star winners, right? I talked to lots of James Beard award winners, uh, but there seems to be that <clears> – <throat> And this is this is a belief of mine. You can tell me if you disagree or agree. I don't want to put thoughts into your head or plant any seeds, but it seems like the there's an award like an award culture in our industry where a lot of what's driven by chefs and a lot of what people think to 
to get to the point where they've made it, where they think they've made it, where they've where they've garnered the respect of the industry is by getting a James Beard Award or getting a Michelin star. And I, and I don't mean to beat up these these organizations. I don't think they they're ill intended. Like they, they're I don't think they're malicious by any means. But I do see that there's this I agree. This, this, this something going on right now where people where they almost steer the fucking ship of our industry. And it's just like, can we take our industry back? It, is success getting an award? Because what's it doing to the culture of our industry? Yeah. Um, and I, I'm just curious, from somebody who's who's gotten these recognitions, um, what are you, what's your outlook on that? Um, they're there, and there's nothing we can do about it. <laughs> yeah. Not that we want to. Yeah. But they're they're not going to go away. Um, I think that they do a lot of good and from an institutionalized standpoint, you know, they're institutions, these things. And I do think that these yearly award high fives that go out, um, they're good snapshots of where we were right then. I like them for that. I like them for that. You know, in 2014, this is what the city looked like. I look back on the old guides of Chicago. I mean, post COVID dude, you, you have to like, mm-hmm. cause you don't even remember who had a Michelin star five years or whatever. They're, they're, they're good for those snapshots. So I love them for that. And I love them for the consumer because they can see who's, you know, out there anyway, at least at that particular time, if they're good, like if the, in other words, if the guides and the award programs actually do have, you know, boots on the ground and they're actually feeling the pulse of where things are at. It's good that them and a, network of uh, 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 writers, food and wine writers, kind of bring what's happening to the surface, at least to the masses. I look to many of them in Chicago. I can't go a week without uh, Food Editor. Mike Gebert over at Food Editor helps me understand what the shit's going on. I don't know. I'm in my own box. I can't figure it out. And so sometimes the Beard Awards and Michelin Guides and all that kind of stuff help to do that. It should never define you. And it should never... And it won't work if you think it's going to define you going to work. Like we have an idea board or whatever. We write shit on it, you know, (laughs) consistency and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But uh, that can't be it doesn't work if that's the goal, because you hear from too many people that after they stopped giving a shit, they achieved whatever it was they wanted so bad. That happens all the time. Yeah. Um, You know, we left Grace as a three Michelin starred restaurant. And ever is a two Michelin starred restaurant. Yeah. But I do you think do the math on that. Yeah. We lost one somewhere. And, and you think we're happy where we're at or content where we're at. I would be lying if I told you that that restaurant in there is a two star unit fighting for that third star. But it's because it wants it wants to it, it wants to be there. I swear to God, I've tried I go, every time I go in that kitchen. I make jokes or whatever. I'm ushered out. <laughs> yeah. But what are we sacrificing for the star? You know, the extra star. Yeah. It's like, here's, let's try and get around this argument. Just in a thought. It's not even an argument for me. Like I'm just more curious from your perspective. Cause right. I don't have the answer. Here's, here's where I live. What harm is it doing? If they're all in there executing mise-en-place at a psychotically higher rate or, 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 you know, if because they think that by dicing those chives at that epic, beautiful level, that that might be the difference between a second and a third star. I don't know. 
I don't think there's any harm in it. But what if the difference between a second and a third star is your team not being able to be there for their family events? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're going to go there on me now. But no, uh, I'm just, I'm no, just I know. I, know. I totally <laughs> completely agree with you because that's what I mean about employee retention. That's why it's like yeah. so important to me because but this is I my- want what I had, but I want it with this new vision. But yeah. And, but I think this is where I'm going, where I say these awards kind of steer because it's what we're really trying to do is to get that cookie. Yeah. So that people, but they, they hand out the award. They set the standard. And we're sacrificing for it. And they're yes. just handing out the award. But you know what I'm saying with this? Like, what if we just fucking denounce that shit? Yes. And say, no, we don't need your award. That Your award isn't the reason why I show up every day. Right. And I just want to take care of my people and serve fucking good food. Yes. I mean, I would, I would hope that you could just do that anyway. I think we could. I think you if know? people communicate and say, what are we doing? Right. Let's take a step back. What are we doing? There is... <laughs> You're not wrong. And there is always that. Yeah. I'm there not right either. Always, I don't know the answer. Maybe I am. I'm just, I'm just offering a perspective. No one's going to walk in the room and say, you know, you should fight for the accolades. I don't know that anyone would say that, you know, you should do this because you want to. I know Chef. Chef is always like that. He's got, you know, like tattoos of his accomplishments, all of him stuff. So, and I'm not trying to take those accomplishments. No, away. not at all. You this know? is what I mean yeah. by saying that, that you can be proud of those moments. And tattoo them onto you because they're epic. Yeah. They're, 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 I, I, I don't know. I, I can't take away how epic they are because they are like to be considered one of, you know, under 10 or 15 restaurants in the United States of America that are executing service and food at a level to get a third Michelin star. I mean, by the sheer numbers of how many that have that, are you ever going to dilute how? prestigious that is mm. i don't know and i'm not going to argue that it wouldn't be a healthier environment if everybody just said i'm going to shed that and and kind of let that go but i would say also too it's important if it's important to you then it's important to you mm-hmm. and for sure no one would uh you know look bad upon anybody else it just says listen i don't give a shit about any of that stuff because my stuff is epic for what I do. My sandwiches are the best. My whatever is the best. Taste it and argue otherwise. Beautiful. If the numbers are coming out for you the right way on that philosophy, then win all day. Michael, I've loved this conversation, man. I really have. Good. One more quick break to thank our sponsors. We're going to bust out a speed round. Today's episode is brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a team management platform built specifically for restaurants. As host of Restaurant Unstoppable, I chat with a lot of restaurateurs. One thing a lot of them have in common, they use Seven Shifts. In fact, every restaurateur using Seven Shifts that I've come across has great things to say about them. With over 700,000 restaurant pros and counting using it today, they're clearly onto something. So what are you waiting for? Seven Shifts is your secret weapon to better understand your restaurant, hit labor costs, and keep your entire team connected with drag and drop scheduling, in-app communication, task management, labor compliance, tip management, and more. It makes restaurant work a lot easier. And I bet 
every member of your team will get value from it. Whether you're a franchise owner or a chief technology officer, a manager working in front of house or back of house, plus it integrates with other restaurant tech systems you already use like your POS, payroll, and more. That is powerful. As a restaurant unstoppable listener, you get three months absolutely free. Get started at www.7shifts.com slash unstoppable. That's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S.com slash unstoppable to get three months free and join over 30,000 restaurants using Seven Shifts today. Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often, Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. Restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. We are back. The first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Uh, what is my it factor? That's something that I possess that most people don't. It's a strength. What's my strength? I show up. Yes. I That's my strength. Yes. I'm at work every day. What is your biggest weakness? Uh, I'm too emotional. How do you overcome it? I, I, I some, most of the times I don't. <laughs> That's <laughs> why it's a weakness. weakness. <laughs> yeah. What is your, what is one question you look for or, or a question you ask or a thing you look for when you're growing your team? What is a thing that I look for in a person yeah. when I'm growing my team? Uh, a real sense of commitment, mm. a real sense of commitment. What is your biggest challenge today? Finding committed employees. How are you overcoming it? By utilizing every single thing I've got to get people to apply for positions, meaning contact lists, peep friends, 
uh, the guys that work at the palace grill, the barber shop, mm. always having a card in my pocket that says we're hiring for this position. This is what it is. And do you think you'd want to do it? What's one code of conduct or behavior, a core value you teach your team, a way to be a way to act. Mm. Uh, I'm going to screw it up, but, uh, always remember that the person you're talking to is dealing with a million things you got no idea about. Mm. What is one uncommon standard of service? I'm excited for this one. An uncommon standard of service. A way to go above and beyond the guest expectation. I love that story you show, shared with showing up with the martini kit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was great. I mean, we. Uh, some people think this is weird, and it's kind of overdone at this particular point, but we still, on every reservation name, check Google, Facebook, Instagram, do everything we can to utilize as much uh, information as yeah. we can about the client before they get here. I love it. You only get the one name on it, but you know, it's like it's 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 they're a principal. Okay, a principal where? Principal yeah. in displays. What high school? Yeah. Boom. Look at that. He graduated from MIT. What a wow. Words. Has anybody yeah. ever done that before? Like and then that captain with that information People always go, well, what do they do with it? Nothing. They just know it. <laughs> yeah. And now they're walking up to the principal at Displays High School who graduated from MIT as opposed to the couple celebrating the anniversary. It makes it less of a transaction. Yeah. I love that. Uh, what is one book that's a must read to make a better person or restaurant owner? The Alchemist. Ooh, I like that. Biggest lesson from that book. Uh, oh, God. I don't know. <laughs> Honestly. A lesson. A lesson. Just find your truth. Yeah. Yeah, find your truth. What is one thing you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough? What is it that restaurateurs don't do well enough or, or often enough? Often enough. <laughs> I don't know, man. <laughs> I That sounds like a, like if you want to ask me like kind of uh, what annoys me or whatnot. Um, Questions at, like at, that. <laughs> yeah, like that's where that goes. I'm so negative. What do they do? Like often... I see restaurants at particular price points that don't have ceilings and they just paint the duct. You know that move? It's very, in Chicago here, it's like exposed brick and fuck the ceiling. I don't like that. I like a ceiling at a particular price point. I like seeing a nice ceiling in the restaurant. Is that too much? No. Uh, What is one piece of technology you've adopted recently that's had a huge impact on communication, efficiency, profitability, anything along those lines? Mm. A piece of tech outside. Okay. I mean, how do I not say, how do I not say the the talk reservation system is kind of, you can echo it. For yeah, sure. I, I, I'm trying, uh, like, if I'm going to be honest, right, like, what piece of tech has, re- I just got a new ride, and it's got Apple Play, it's got CarPlay on it, losing my mind with that tech, too. that has changed my life, it really has, there's nothing in the restaurant business that has changed my life in the way that I can actually take calls in my car and move around like that, Yeah, that's just great. in my personal life, in the professional world, uh, for us, yeah, it has to do with reservation systems. It would probably have to do with talk. I'll give you a better one. Uh, how about Facebook targeting? Mm. Facebook targeting. If you're in the restaurant business and you have a small you know, PR and marketing budget to play for or, or to, uh, to play around with, uh, look at that and investigate that and see how effective it is for you because you might be shocked. All right. This is the, the last question. I have a feeling I'm going to get some eye rolls when I ask it, though. Uh-huh. <laughs> 
if you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. Uh-huh. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure. With the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What is this three question? Pieces of wisdom. <laughs> three pieces of wisdom? Yeah. Pretend like you're talking to your kids and you're saying, hey, like these are the three things. Three things. I got the first one. Yeah, the first one. I mean, it's like I can't name a thing and I don't care like or a job, a career path, a, a craft you want to pursue that if you just don't, if, if you just keep showing up and doing it and, it and sticking to it, just. That's one. Show up. Show up. Two. Be early. What's the third? Stay late. Beautiful. <laughs> Michael, I've loved today's conversation, my man. Yeah. Thank you very much. Of course. We wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. That's really what I'm trying to get to steer the show. I don't want to be the person who decides who gets made an example of. I want the industry to decide who I should be talking to and who should be sharing their story. Okay. Who do you respect and admire? Or if you can't think of just one person, we'll take multiple names. Oh, my God. Uh, I respect and admire Chris Mears. At Let Us Entertain You. Kevin Bame and Rob Katz at the Boca Group. Uh, uh, Curtis Duffy, my partner, and the reason why anybody gives a crap about anything I have to say is because we have a genius in the kitchen that makes pretty art food that people just freak out about. (laughs) I respect and admire him a million times over. Awesome. Uh, Yeah. My attorney, Sean, (laughs) I respect and admire him. My architects, Christopher Lawton and Micah Stanley, who design the things that we get to play around in. Yeah. I respect and admire them. And we're looking to break outside the mold a little bit and start talking to those satellite businesses, the, the specialists, the people yeah. that, you know, maybe you can't, you don't have those people on your budget yet, but maybe they can drop some gold in some episodes and share and help, you know. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, if you talk to a builder of restaurants, like a general contractor that, you know, fancies themselves as a restaurant building general contractor. We're actually going to be talking to Brad Parker, which I think is kind of his MO. He's a restaurant tour who builds out. I mean, there's the game right there, especially if you're, you know, whatever you're like, those guys can tell they're just oceans of information, knowledge, flow of stuff. And like, you know, like right now in Chicago, concrete, try it. You ain't getting it. And if you do get it, you're going to pay like 10 times what it costs. It is insane. That's what's happening right now on that side, a walk-in cooler, order it today. Never will you see it. Like it's (laughs) going to take a year to get a walk-in cooler right now. The supply chain issues on the builder front. I kind of hope that this kind of regenerate. I think we outsource way too much in this country and I hope that the supply chain. Yeah. Forcing it to be localized is like something is a byproduct of what's happening. It's like just the, the stuff is so bizarre that doesn't come right. Like our HVAC system waited for ever. It was all done. The whole yeah. thing was done. Heat pumps, heat pumps. You just needed these heat pumps. They took forever yeah. to show up. So you just can never call what it's going to be that says, no, nah, I'm not going to be there <laughs> and ruin your life for, <laughs> for the next 90 days. The only thing we have left to do is let the folks at home know if they're listening to this and they're inspired. Maybe they want to come join your team. Yeah. After listening to you, what's the best way to connect? Employment at ever-restaurant.com. And uh, don't allow yourself to be, uh, uh, you know, 
pulled away from applying if you don't have millions of years of fine dining experience. No one cares as long as you show up on time, kill while you're here, and go home and live your life. That's really what we're looking for is focused, consistent right now. Uh, uh, and, and we will teach you everything you would ever want to know. You can learn how to taste wine, learn how to do the thing, anything you want. It's the church of that. Yeah. That's why it's you know supposed to be the thing. Social handles? Uh, I'm on Instagram as photo underscore muse, M-U-Z-E, photo muse. And then uh, Ever's up there and After's up there. And- we'll have them in the, the show notes. If you guys head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash whatever the episode number is. I don't even know. I've lost track. I think we're in the, the 930s somewhere. You'll hear the episode number. You've done 930 of these? I'm on a roll, brother. Nine years. (laughs) Oh, my God. Good for you. Congrats, you you guys. Well, we can't say goodbye without saying, Michael Muser, my man, there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. Bye-bye. Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Michael Muser, for just getting real, getting open, getting honest. And I'm I'm pretty public on how I feel about award culture in the restaurant industry, pushing back on the status quo. Uh, the this idea that you know you have to win some type of major award to to be worth anything in our industry. And I, and I like to push back on that. And I don't, it's not every day I get somebody on the show. Who's been a part of two uh, Michelin star restaurants and one three star Michelin star restaurant. So it was fun to get his perspective and the push and to, to get, you know, some of those thoughts. And I, I had a lot of fun today's episode, uh, just very inspiring the level of grind to, to achieve uh, what you guys have achieved and the, the tour we got after this too, uh, really going through their space ever and talking about the, the intentionality of design. If you guys want to see that, I highly recommend you subscribe to our YouTube channel, head over to youtube.com slash restaurant stoppable. If these two hour long versions of, of the restaurant unstoppable or are a lot for you, then go hang out over at the YouTube channel and uh, you can get a condensed 20 minute version of the show with the visuals. We're doing some cool stuff over there. Sam Hall from Sav and Sam.com is crushing it. So grateful to be able to work with him and to take this thing to the next level. And, um, if you want to support this show, there's a bunch of ways you can do it. We mentioned the, the YouTube channel, please subscribe. When you head over there, you can, Subscribe to the podcast as well. You can share this podcast with anybody and everyone you know aspiring in the restaurant industry. Be sure to support our sponsors and to use our affiliate links. And then lastly, uh, I'm, I would love to build a community around this content and to go deep into the lessons we're learning. I'm actually, I have. It's called Restaurant Unstoppable Network. If you want to lean on other restaurateurs and get community that maybe you're lacking at home, it's, you know, it's lonely at the top and there's a community of restaurant owners across the industry uh, looking to get together and to chit chat. And that's happening all at Restaurant Unstoppable Network. And I cannot wrap up without saying thank you to Jared Parisi at Sumadre Podcast for the editing and copy he does in the show. And I already mentioned Sam from SavinSam.com takes an army. I'm grateful for mine. That's it for today. Until next time. Peace out.